Tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Leanne is producing today and she'll be happy to hear from you. Coming up on the show this morning, I'll be speaking to Councillor David Dunn of Carrick Insure in just a little while. Extreme frustration in Cashel as uh, the work has restarted on that board clock uh, roundabout. We've been getting lots of calls on that following my conversation with uh, Deputy Martin Brown and others yesterday, including uh, Tom Wood as well. Um, why are some road structures so badly planned? and uh, we'll chat about that. We'll be speaking to a member of the Dementia Action Group and uh, two Tipperary women are fronting the National uh, Daffodil Campaign. I'll be speaking as well about a most remarkable book and indeed a most remarkable story uh, in the 11 o'clock hour too. And uh, we'll hear from Muriel Cuddy in our health slot and uh, today she'll be discussing blood sugars and all of that kind of thing so all of that and much much more on the way you can text and whatsapp 083 311 you can email tip today at tipfm.com quick look at the newspapers today the irish times and their main story, Sinn Féin support hits lowest level in three years. Support for Sinn Féin has slumped in the latest Irish Times Ipsos uh, opinion poll with the party falling to its lowest level in three years. And Sinn Féin support fell to 28%, a six-point drop since the most recent poll in September. With a general election due within the next year, possibly, the results of the poll uh, I'm sure will cause some alarm in the party. Um, the Irish Daily Mail and their main story, two restaurants are closing down every day since the government reverted to the higher VAT rate of 13.5%. And the coalition is now facing mounting pressure to make a U-turn on that. And again, the government was warned time and time again about that uh, particular uh, decision. Uh, also on the front of the mail today, the first confirmed deaths of an Irish adult with measles in many years is now under investigation by the Health Service. And to the Irish Examiner, and a very stark story indeed on the Examiner, something we'll be talking about uh, during the programme as well. Patients are dying of neglect at the University Hospital Limerick. Advocates have claimed as overcrowding hits a national record high of 150 people without a bed uh, yesterday. Again, that measles story is on the front of the examiner. And also uh, a story that's been uh, doing the rounds on social media and on the front page of the examiner today as well. A plan to remove cars from Dublin city centre will be in place by August according to Transport Minister uh, Eamon Ryan. And as I say, a very controversial story that uh, the Independent as well, uh, they're telling us in their main story that the state's regulator for the rental sector has promised to clamp down on landlords as new figures show rental costs rising significantly above the legal limits and data for the three months to September. Uh, show existing tenants uh, suffered an average rise of 5.2% in the space of a year. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. 
If you want to make comments on any of that, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So that's uh, 083 311 The Safe St. Bridget's Hospital Group held a meeting on the grounds of the hospital to mark the St. Bridget's Bank Holiday uh, weekend and uh, to bring us up to speed on what the story is with St. Bridget's at this stage. I'm glad to be joined now by Carrick and Shore, Sinn Féin Councillor Davy Dunn. Davy, good morning to you. Good morning, Frank. Good morning to your listeners. Good to talk to you today, Davey. Uh, what is the latest uh, on it? Because I believe there's finally been a conversation with the HSE. Yes. Um, it's uh, it's an unusual one in the sense that um, uh, I'm not going to re- go through everything that happened in the campaign, but I could just if I can give you a, quite, a quick synopsis yes. of, of what happened. So the hospital was closed down, and I know this is a car control issue, but in general, this might have meaning to the rest of Tipperary and when they're fighting for services and stuff like this. So they closed the hospital in, in, in during COVID, which was underhanded, we felt, and then we started a campaign when we found out that it wouldn't be open again. And uh, we went through the usual stuff, protests, uh, you know, emails, everything like that. We eventually got into the... To, we went the political route and we got into the, the all into the Petitions and Concern Committee, where we had two excellent presentations by Susan Mullins and Barry Torpey, and Susan came up again a second time and did a follow-up presentation. So we were lumped in with two other uh, um, campaign groups in Relon- mm. fighting for services to be retained. So we got another invitation very late in the day um, to attend as part of the trio. And um, two of our members of the campaign group, uh, Elaine Wall and Francis Power, uh, they took it upon themselves, and if they didn't, we wouldn't be here today. They they said that they would go up and represent people, where some of us, including myself, were, were thought that we were being stringed along and that this was going to go nowhere. Mm. But in fairness, they did, and they made contact with uh, representatives of the HSE. Um, I won't mention his name, because mm. he asked us kind of like to do it outside, but um, he was it's a man, and he was very... Uh, open to the lads and to meeting and so forth. So he came to Carrick and he had a meeting with uh, the campaign group and politicians and he, ever since we, there's, a, there's been an open dialogue between himself and, and Elaine Wall of, of the campaign group who's been excellent and has took a lot of this on her own shoulders. Um, so she's been over and back with it. But unfortunately, the HSE had a couple of moves. Uh, Kate Clean White, who was on your show at the start of the campaign, she's, she's moved and there was another guard put in temporarily, and now she's moved, so there's a new person in. But that person now has a, had had a meeting with this other person from the HSE, and uh, they're willing to now come and meet the group and discuss it. She just tried to familiarise herself with the situation. So we're going on the 2020 hospice report where it says that for a population of just about 100,000, you need 10 hospice beds, and roughly between South Kilkenny, South Tipperary and East Waterford. We have that population. There's about 90-odd thousand, I think. Yes. Um, but we need about 10 beds, and we only have seven. We have three perfectly hospice suites in Carrick and Shore. So that's the, what we're arguing with uh, the HSE. They said, look, they're there. Mm. They're ready to go. You know, why did you close them in the first place? And why not reopen them? And, and then we'll fight for all the other services and respite. So we had a meeting last Saturday because it was St. Bridges weekend and of course everyone was join, enjoying the bank holiday, the new bank holiday. So um, we just informed the people what I'm after informing everybody now. And a couple of people um, spoke from the, the crowd. One elderly lady said, don't forget about the hospice. Uh, don't forget about the respite services. 
that I can't get respite service for my husband. Mm-hmm. I left here. I left him to come to the meeting. She said, and I have to go straight back to him now. So he said, I have got. I have been fighting on my back for respite. I get one. There's one respite bed. She said that that I have to book mm-hmm. in advance. So it's really, really tough out there. Another lady spoke about a friend that ended up in in Clahine and it was a 75-mile round trip. She said up and down to see her. She didn't realise how how the effect of losing St. Bridges was until she had to go and visit her friend. And And, and just for people outside of Carrick, David, just to make that point, that as a respite hospital, it was hugely important to the area, wasn't it? (laughs) Absolutely, it was it was like the golden nugget, like yeah. you know what I mean, uh, in for for local people, and they didn't have to travel. Yeah. But the palliative care, like we had several people that passed away, and maybe all rest in peace, in the Oakwood, which is hospice uh, beds in Waterford. Mm. But if you haven't got transport, and if your parents or loved one dies during the evening or the night time, it's very hard to get down there by bus. So that's what, like, look, I just what I would say to people, and I've said it to the campaign to the, the group. There was about fifty, sixty, maybe more there, and they're they've been there with us in the start. And I said, look, I said, look, mm. stick with us. This was never going to be one in this that, that was my concern, Davey, was that people were getting exhausted from it and, and almost throwing their hands up and saying, sure, look, what what can we do? But do I get from you now that the tone is changing a little from the HSE? It, it is because the, like the, the, lady, the new lady in charge said that we were treated very badly, that we weren't, it wasn't communicated to us why uh, the, the hospital was closed down. Mm. The reasons for the hospital, that was never explained to us. Mm. They never opened. But it was done under the cover. Dollar. It was done under the yeah. cover of COVID, David. That's that's. Yeah, it was. It was. But yeah. just for the, the listeners out there, that if you're involved in campaign groups, don't lose hope because mm. what they try to do is grind you down and they try to wear you out. And like we're not after being ground down and we're not wearing out. We're still there and we're still fighting and we'll keep fighting. I told people that mm. I, this is not about politics to me. I know that personally uh, the effects of us when you have loved ones at home that are sick. And they might, hopefully they won't, but some people might need uh, end-of-life care. And to have that in a, in a local area, you know, where you can go down as a family, call in and drop in and drop out. Mm. Because, you know, when someone is, is passing, uh, other people's lives still go on. Like they just, people, some people can take time off work to look after loved ones, but usually it's one member of the family. The other members of the family have to stay work and have to provide for their family. So, it's not. It's it's always a complex issue, and if by having it local, you can drop down for half an hour, drop down for an hour, even during work, and you can still manage to carry on your life. That's. We were talking about uh, the situation in Cashel as well yesterday, where the post office was concerned, and we're hearing now at the end of March the, it will move from the current post office building to Super Value in the town. Can you just give me the Carrick experience of what happened when your when your super when your post office moved, uh, Davy? So there was two moves in Carrick on Shore. The Carrick on Shore was uh, post offices for anybody that doesn't know was situated over by the Armour Castle. So we'll say on the the far end of the town. So. What it did was it generated footfall, so people had to travel from one side of the town to the other to get the boat to get to the post office and back. And it was always I can remember all my life going up and down with my mother down the street, and the streets used to be packed because people had to go up and down. And the two banks are on that end of the street as well. But when they what they did was they moved the post office um, because the postmaster uh, got a place to a different place, and they moved it to Sean Kelly Square. So it was right on Sean Kelly Square, mm. and it was it was. It was after you could see the effect immediately because people didn't have to travel up to the, up up and down the street. So then they moved again to Super Value. Now look, that's a business 
issue there and, and I have no issue with uh, mm. people doing businesses and that's what they've done. Um, but it had a very bad effect on the, the rotation and the footfall of pe- for people in Carrick and for business. Mm. That's that was That's my opinion on it. And, yeah. and I think it unbalanced the town. That's the way I put it. The, the difference, I suppose, is that it will be still on the main street in Cashel, whereas it is quite a bit off the main street where, where SuperValue is concerned in Carrick. Yeah, see, su- SuperValue have a car park. And yeah. If you want to go to the post office, you drive there, you park, you park up, yeah. you go into the post office, you get in your car and you go away. Whereas the other way, there wasn't really much parking. Well, there was parking in the new town hall car park. But back in the day, there was no, there was no parking, so there was constant footfall up and down, and that's what is the the lifeblood of any business. If you're passing the doors and you see something you like, or you say, "Oh, it rings the bell. I need to get meat, or I need to get, I need to do this, or I need to." That's what it is. Right. So that's certainly been your experience there. Yeah. No. Um, look, it's, it's ha- it has a negative effect, and we're we're, we're working to rectify that. But with with with, mm. with the twenty million that we're going to be spending in the town. Can I ask you about uh, the front page of the Times today, Davy? Before I let you go, which is you know your party falling by six points to twenty eight percent, the lowest it's been since February of twenty twenty one. That must be very disappointing for you, is it? Absolutely, Fran. And I won't give you the stock answer. That's the only opinion poll that matters on on the day. Look, mm. the trend is not your friend, and we've been trending down, unfortunately. But I think it's um, it's around our messaging. We, we were very good at our messaging and we still are on the message we have to sell to people is a very good message. We want to improve houses. We want to improve services. We feel that the two governments have been in power since the foundation of the state have failed. And I think the majority of people feel the same way. But um, there's a fracture of the vote. If you know today, our vote went mainly to left-wing parties. Mm, yeah. uh, the last one, the last opinion poll where we were down uh, by six points, it went to independence. So there's a bit of a fraction. I think personally... The, the loyalty to the big parties, and if we if you class us as a big party, so the loyalty to Fianna Fáil and the loyalty to is around about 20%. That's their hardcore vote, and they're not moving up or down Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, only in the margin of error. Right, so there's a vast, and we're, I, I never thought we were on 35%. I thought we were around maybe 28 to 30%. That's what I thought. Mm. No way were we anyway up, up to 35 So 30%. where you are now, you think, is probably there or thereabouts? I, I, I think it is. And I think we can improve it. And the only way we improve it is by hard work. Mm. And that's councillors on the ground. Look, we were born with a mouth and two ears. And I like to use my ears a little bit more than I use my mouth. And mm. I like to listen to people and what they're saying to me. And and, and you've covered it on your show. And, and I have had conversations with you. Emigration is a big, is, mm. is a massive issue out there. Uh, I'm not getting it particularly in, in, in Carrick on Shore because we had uh, an asylum centre for a, a mm. long number of years. Which, and which, worked, which worked well in the town. Uh, it worked yeah. very well. Yeah. Uh, we have people that went to the grave school that are now qualifying for doctors. We have people that RTE came down and done a special programme on, on one young lad. He's, he's a, he happened to be a... I'm a friend of his, his dad's, but he he, he plays for Carrick Davins, which and I have to say... The, the, the amount of youngsters that are playing for the Carrick Davins that are from Bridgewater House is amazing. And they've done tremendous work to integrate. And as, as of other clubs, soccer clubs and the Carrick Swans and so forth, the Mullins, they all have done their bit to help people integrate. Mm. And it's great because numbers were low, so they got numbers up by people coming. So it, it, it worked. But look, 
it's it's an mm. issue that's out there and people want to talk about it's, it. It's, See, inter- we have to it's interesting, David, that you said that in one poll you the, you lost voters to the left, and in one, another poll you lost them to to the right or to to uh, to independence. Um, is that not though because when you look into the makeup of Sinn Fein, there is that polarization even within the party. There's there's lefties in the party and there's more conservatives in the party. <clears throat> that was always the case, and I often had that battle with some of the con- more conservative people in the party. But the place to have the battle is inside, and that's why I I got involved in politics. Mm. Like I come from po- my my view of politics, I suppose it's it's a lot of it's down to to me mother, even though she was never involved in politics. But she always said to me, look, treat others the way you want to be treated yourself. Help the most vulnerable in society. And that's what she, I, I saw that with my eyes growing up. And that's the way my mum always thought. Even though we weren't, and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but my dad worked hard and provide what we had. But like a lot of families through mm. the 80s, times were tough. So we've, we've, all, we've seen hard times. And even though through hard times, we always tried to help other people that were, get, were having even harder times. Mm. So I always look at a thing like that. We should never punch down. We should always punch up. Um, I see mm. recently there was two two billionaires own more wealth than 50% of the Irish population. Yeah. So that's, that's, that to me is where the focus should be. Look, immigration, mm. the system is broken and needs to be fixed. I've dealt with it many a people in Bridgewater House who had to wait four and five years to, to be assessed for their appeals and for everything, and then for finally to get residency. And could, um, could, I, put, could I put it to you, the perceptions, that, now don't shoot the messenger on this, uh, can I put it to you, the perceptions that are out there at the moment, that now there, there really isn't a party of opposition because it appears that, you know, what Sinn Féin is standing for is more or less what's happening at at the moment, particularly where the economy is concerned. And the other perception that's there, Davy, is that Sinn Féin is a party that advocates open borders. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Fran, because that's... I, I often scream at your radio show when I have people, when you have guests on, and I presume there's people screaming at me now, but that we are not open borders. Our policy from 2020 was not for open borders. And practically, you know what I mean, there is no such thing as open borders. Open borders to me is you let everybody come in when no one is checked. That's not, that doesn't happen. People are fingerprinted. People are run through Interpol. Uh, there's, very so little, there's very little checking going on, though, no, no, really no, at no, the no, end no. of the day, you know. There is. Look, but I, I'll give you an example. I, I always feel it's better to give an example mm. and, and to make it easier on people to find out because I'm not talking down to anybody and I wouldn't like anyone to talk down to me. So therefore, I listen to everybody and their viewpoints. I have dealt with an Iraqi man who was in an asylum centre in, in Carrick, and uh, he was happened to be uh, on the Saddam Hussein side, in, in that his dad was involved in that in that party. And when Saddam was overthrown... So a Sunni, a Sunni then, yes, wasn't he? Sunnis, yeah. and yeah. Sunni and Shia. Yes. And he was a Sunni, and they, his father had a business, a shop, and his father was uh, shot dead in front of him. So he had to get out of the country, and he had to come to Ireland. Right? Now, he told me that story, and I took it as... Um, yeah, look, that's, that's the story. I, I believe him, and I have no reason not to believe him. But he would have gone, gone before a judge and, and decide, and the judge or he would, the asylum process would have would have verified that story if it was true. Now, if that story was true, um, I, I believe he should have got asylum. If the story is not true, he shouldn't have got asylum, and he should have been moved back out. But no way should it take four years. The problem is the system is broken. We people that have got citizenship, or not citizenship, residency, right to remain and right to work in Ireland, in Bridgewater House that can't get out. We have a perfect storm. We have 
we have a GP shortage, we have a dental shortage, we have a housing crisis, and we have a rental crisis, mm. right? And we have an education crisis as well, when we don't have enough space, spaces. So there's a lot going on. Mm. It's a perfect storm. And I can see why it's easy to blame yeah. the person, the foreigner, for, for all Ireland's problems. It's not. These problems were there before the foreigner. Uh, before the farmers well, well, any, remember any right thinking people would would agree with you on that these these are internal issues that we we have here for sure but in terms of the the numbers can i ask you and and this has been put to your party as well should should there be a cap on numbers at least until we can house people properly and not have them in tents what what would you make of that davy well see unfortunately um the government can't enforce a cap on international protection because that's under the Geneva Convention and the UN Convention, right? So that's, mm. they, that precedes European law. Where we can do something, and what the government are, are, are suggesting they're going to do now, is they're going to pay money to the countries that... They're, uh, so, so like Greece was getting overrun... Uh, sorry, that's the wrong term, but they were getting huge, huge volumes of mm. immigrants because they were coming up from Africa. So they, they, need to, they needed to help those to that country uh, cope with the situation. So some people opted to take them in and instead of paying money. Now the government are going to reverse that decision. And I think that's, while we get to grips of the situation, I think that's a good and a positive move, right, for, for now. But the problem I see is, why don't we stop bombing these countries? Why don't we stop raping their natural resources? And why don't we help them when it comes to a, a climate change? Because I don't see why a person would leave a sunny climate where we travel on holiday uh, to the Canary Islands, which is just off the African coast, we, the majority of Irish people head to the Canaries for their summer holidays. So why would the people want to leave the, their country where it's lovely and warm weather to come to an awful day like we well, have here Well, you, you know what people are screaming at the radio now? That's because we're so generous here and because we've been so decent and well, good to people. There's, 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 there's things on that, right? They get 38.50 when they come here, right? Which is just to provide toiletries and basic, basic needs, right? And, and I've heard this on your show loads of times. And, 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 I, and I have to agree with a certain amount of people in what they say in that if you put 40 males or 50 males into a place, mm. it's going to cause havoc, yeah. right? If you put 40 Davy Duns into a place, yeah. right, and give them €38.50 a week, it, it will cause havoc, right? Because I go off my mind with nothing to do. Yeah. So what I'm, I suggest is, to people is, is that they don't, they don't fall into the trap of dividing the working class or dividing the poor uh, from, the, from the more poor. So what they should do is try to come up with solutions. So I don't see why it should take two years to do this. This should be done within a matter of months. So if someone comes to the country and he's, he's, he wants to come here to game the system or for or over-generosity, as you said, it, is, is it, it shouldn't be allowed. And he should be gone and, and, and deep, deported if, it, if that's what it means mm. as fast as they can because we don't need that. We, what we need is workers. Right. We need people in the health service. We need people in education. We need people in everywhere. Why not put them on a scheme while they're here, even on a temporary basis? Why not put them to work as, and, and for their own well-being and for everybody's well-being? And why not break them up into smaller groups if that's, All right. if that's what's needed? All that's right. the few suggestions I have. But look, that's the way, look, it's a very tricky situation, but we're listening to the people that are on the ground. And we're, we did listen to the people in Ross Grey. I've been on to the lads up in Ross Grey, so I'm well, well versed of what's going on. So, hey, look, we, we, it's a, an onus on us all. 
to listen to each other. And there is also an onus on us all to deal with problems and fix them. And burning buildings won't fix any problem for, for Irish that's, homeless or anyone that's, else. That's for sure. Davy, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks. Good good, thanks. good morning thank to you. you. How about you now? That's Sinn Féin Councillor there in Carrick and Sure. Davy Dunn, uh, what do you make of that? 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 83 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie uh, Teresa says, good lad, Davey, well said. Now tell those you-know-whats in government and uh, if they'd only listen to you, it would be a step in the right direction. Um, somebody else saying two shops after closing in Carrick and Shore in the last week. Davey didn't talk about that one in fairness. We didn't put that to him and we got through a lot in that uh, whatever it was, 15 or 20 minutes there. Um, I'm not a Sinn Féin supporter but well done to Davey Dunn and giving some badly needed balance on tip today on the immigrant issue. Thank you for that. Uh, my nephew works at Dublin Airport. Uh, no checks, it says here. Somebody else saying we've had enough. Uh, my son and his partner with one small child. They both work 12-hour shifts and cannot get a home. Uh, they're paying through their nose for a rental. We need to get real. We have refugees coming home on holidays and then coming back here on the back of taxpayers. If they go home on holidays, they don't need a refuge. Brian says, Fran, you may say to, to Davy." Uh, that uh, Sinn Féin supports the hate speech legislation and that has had a huge impact on their support and they are pandering to European policies. Somebody else saying, Fran, I was going to vote Sinn Féin to give them a chance in government. However, they've lost their way with the people. Uh, The country needs change and they're not offering this change anymore. It's just more of the same. So I, for one, will keep my vote unless... Uh, they come out and tell me what their manifesto is. Uh, well, I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot about their manifesto uh, ahead of the general election. In fairness to, to David Dunn, he did admit that there was a communication issue where the party is uh, concerned. So you might like to keep that in mind. On yesterday's show, uh, we spoke to um, Deputy Martin Brown about the never-ending work, as it seems, anyway, on the roundabout in Boerclock Street in Cashel. Huge reaction. Many people, indeed, getting in touch to uh, share their frustrations. Michael Joseph joins me now. Good morning to you, Michael Joseph. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you. man today. Oh, I'll tell you now, run off me feet, Michael Joseph. Yes, it's unbelievably roundabouts and governments and you Yeah. What are you you making about the the roundabouts and the various roundabouts? I should look at Fran. I think they're great thing in the town because... If you're certainly driving a big vehicle, because if you do maybe miss your turn off, you can say, oh, yeah, there's a roundabout up the road here, I'd be able to go around it yeah. and come back down. Yeah. Instead of trying to back into a side road mm. or a, some place in the town, you know, maybe a housing estate trying to back into it. But the roundabouts are great. Mm. But there's a lot of things great on the roads and there's a lot of bad things on the roads. And as you said there, the government don't listen. So they don't listen to the drivers on the road either. 
Yeah, the, the, that always surprises me that, you know, that you wouldn't... Well, you'd, you'd look for local knowledge, first of all, and you might ask a, a truck driver to say, listen, would you mind driving around that there till I have a look until I see what, what the story is? Yeah, well, if you look ahead last night, there's a show there, a uh, bus there and there in Dublin. Yes. And, um, the gentleman said, the buses are getting bigger. No, they are. They're, they're huge. Mm. They're huge buses. And why wouldn't you get a bus driver out of Dublin or a truck driver out of some part of Ireland they say, right, lads, would you tell us what to do? Because they would know. The engineer, did he ever drive a bus or a truck? No. Mm. He wouldn't know the pressure it's to put in the tyres. He wouldn't, you see, and they're, they're probably modelling it on a computer somewhere, on a piece of software. Yeah, it's done in a computer. Yeah. That's grand, but you have to go out and drive things. This is a different story. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know which about computers, friend, but I know you have to go out and drive. But to go back to the driving, I was on to two RSA offices yesterday now. Yeah. We won't say where, and I was talking to two ladies, and they agreed with me wholeheartedly that 12 lessons before you go for your test is solid ridiculous. They said if you can't drive after six lessons, forget about it. And uh, they don't agree either with uh, a person that gets a uh, theory test right and go along there and get a provisional licence and she can't drive or he can't drive a car for 12 months. And uh, but do, do you think... Their mother, you, father, brother, sister, grandmother, whoever it is, to go with them. But, you, but you, you, you think that six there? driving lessons is enough to get somebody on the road, do you? Oh, yes, yeah, she said six lessons is plenty. Yeah, and well, what what do you think? Day. What do you think about that? Oh, definitely six. If you don't try learn after six, so you forget about it. Hmm. Get a bike for yourself. Get a bike off Eamon Ryan. He has an electric one up there in Dublin. <laughs> But uh, no, but joking aside, though, friend, yeah. uh, when you go back in it, uh, all the accidents, the accidents happen, it happens on farms, it happens everywhere. Mm. But uh, do you see, if you're learning how to drive and uh, you're never taken on the motorway, because yeah. I was talking to 16 That's different true. people. That's true. With girls and boys. Yeah. They trained in Kilkenny and they trained in Torlis. Mm. And none of them was ever taken out the road. By the no, it's, it's not part. It's not day. part of the oh. test at all, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but sure. If you go up the road after passing your test and say you're doing a hundred kilometres, mm. do you know how is, how long it's going to take to stop the car? You no, don't. No, not at all. But I asked these people. They said no. And uh, why then is uh, the government don't say right? Tell the the, the people that's learning. Mm. Not it's not got to do. It's not got to do. Tell them what to do. But. If the government said, you have to take him out the road, and the same with the tester. Now, one girl said to me, she failed the test. Mm. But at the end of the day, he said to her, well, I'll let you go. And I said, what did you fail for? I wasn't looking out the back window often enough. But he, Why would you be looking out the back window? I know, but I, I presume he meant checking the mirror, I suppose. No, not at all. No, she should have turned around uh, when she was taking a corner. She should have looked out the back window as well. Right. It's mental. Oh, just stop it. It's a crazy situation. Yeah. Did you did you did you get a license in the way I got it? Did you get a license? Did you get a license for nothing like I did, Michael Joseph? No, I didn't. Did you? Did you have to do the test? I done my test at nineteen and a half years. Did you? Inside in Kilkenny, we call it a city. Right. And there's very narrow streets in there too. And it just took me up several narrow streets, which I said to myself, Will I make it at all? And then I had to read a sign outside the shop from maybe hundred yards. And I said, can you read it? Oh, I don't have to read it, he said. And he said, I won't read it either. I'd write it on the piece of paper. So I did. So I went up and I handed him the piece of paper. Oh, your eyesight is not too bad anyway, he said. He took me out the Callan Road in, and I went into Steverdale Lane, and 
set back into a mall and I came back in and he said, Pass your test anyway. He says, I wouldn't be able to back into them lane with me, sir. By God. He was from Waterford, from the CIE in Waterford. Well, fair play. And and you you passed the test anyway, which is amazing. I did. I did pass the test under pressure. Yeah. Oh, I got it. When when they got rid of the backlog and gave out the freebies, I got it in 1979. A lot of people got them, yeah. Yeah. They did. But that's that's, that's beside the point. What we're talking today, Fran, is about Mm. that you have to do 12 lessons. That's money for the government as well. Uh, It's not really, isn't it? Sure, that's going to the, the, the... the instructor, the driving instructor. It is, but there, there's VAT on that as well. There's VAT on all this. It's so, all money. So you no, think it's all about money? But you should be taking out the motorway as well when you're doing your... Maybe after the third lesson, you should be taken onto the motorway then and explained about the motorway. People have no clue about the motorway. That's, that's, that's for sure. Michael Joseph, I must leave it there, but thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. That's Michael Joseph. Let me go to uh, to another Michael, to Mike this time. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Fred. Good to talk to you today. Um, navigating the new slopes and footpaths, and you're well qualified to talk to us about this because you, you have a visual impairment, uh, Mike, I do, do you? I do indeed. Yeah. I'm, I'm now, now classed as legally, legally blind. My God almighty. Yeah, so, a simple chain user. So tell me about your experience on some of these new footpaths then. And the new footpaths, all, all, all footpaths in general, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. And what is your experience? Some of the slopes can be a bit too sharp, I think. Yeah. They, they, they'll make, make you slip on them. You know, like we're saying there, you come along, say, to, to the shop, yeah, we're, we're, we're a shop entrance for a, for a gateway going into a yard, say, the, the pad could be level, but then the next, next premises might be a little dip on it, turn, t- t- going towards the gateway, for, for, for traffic. Not that the footpad dead level, I suppose, in some cases. The council decided to put a little slope ways for the pedestrians walking. And, and some and, of them can be a little sharp. And, and, and that can be difficult for you as well. A lot of these newer footpaths, Mike, are they any better? Somehow. Then some can just slope out the way to from a building, which is equally uncomfortable too. Oh, I see what you mean. You yeah. mean they slope out towards the road? Out, out towards the road as well, yeah. Wow. And, Somebody's saying there's a slope coming and they forget to tell you what way the slope is going. Is it out, down, angled, right? How sharp and angled did they be coming out too? Yeah, you see, those, those of us who are blessed not to have impairment like you have, I mean, we mm-hmm. wouldn't even we wouldn't even realise that, you know? There's a, there's a lot of people like that in, in, around, even, even for elderly people. Yeah. Including yourself, you you, you and I now would be having the same age, age bracket, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So well, what is the message that you're putting out there then, Mike, to the powers that be who are building these footpaths and designing Engineers, them? Don't, don't put the, the slopes them so, so sharp and angle. Okay. Okay. I, I, know, I know I suppose it's probably do the foam pipes and everything under the path that they can go down too far to, to drop, drop the, 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 the angle less, more, more level or angle. Right. Uh, but but to keep in mind that there are people with visual impairments that that could suffer because of this, Mike. Thank you very I'm much. Senior. Do do. I'm senior people as well, of course. Not only sitting on visual impairments, and people with buggies as well, and all people. Of yeah. course. Uh, Mike, good to talk to you today and do mind yourself out there and thank you very much indeed for that um, I was talking to Michael just ahead of Mike there and he was making the point that the 12 lessons that it's a way for the government to get in money I, I threw my, my doubts at that but one, one of our listeners saying there's no VAT 
on uh, driving instruction. So there you go. Um, okay, lots more coming in on various different things, including my conversation there with uh, David Dunn uh, as well. We'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, with the number of people being diagnosed with dementia increasing every year, those affected can find it difficult to get information, advice and uh, support associated with living with dementia. Now, we've certainly put the spotlight on dementia over the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, right now, I'm glad to be joined by Fiona Crotty. Uh, Fiona is with Age Friendly Tipperary. Uh, Tipperary County Council and uh, she joins me now. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Fran, and thanks very much for having me on. Uh, it's very good to talk to you again, Fiona, and thanks for that. Um, dementia in the community, I suppose, and helping people within the community, I mean, that's that's vitally important, is it not? Extremely important, Fran, yeah. Like, we, we know that there are over 3,500 diagnosed with dementia in Spray, but most of those actually stay and live within our community. So I suppose it's very important that we continue to see the person, you know, to talk about, to stay in and touch and support their interests and hobbies. So, um, as I said, I am the Age Friendly Programme Manager with Tisbury uh, County Council and one of the initiatives we're doing, say, in the next month is we're writing out to all of the Tidy Towns groups in the county. And as you know, Tisbury have a fantastic, I suppose, history of Tidy Towns mm-hmm. in the county with very strong and active groups. So we're asking them promote planting in, as they're considering their planting plans for this year that promote sensory planting, you know, colour, touch, the scent, you know, they can calm and um, and ground someone and they can often inspire a recollection of different uh, memories and sensations. Um, and also, you're as a, somebody very involved in music yourself, obviously the power of music mm-hmm. and how, you know, um, the... The HSE have a fantastic project in local choir as well in terms of the Let's Sing project aiming to provide, you know, a series of familiar songs and which are accessible to individuals. And again, that's to help people with dementia to develop and maintain relationships and improve their well-being. The importance of social connection, I suppose, mm-hmm. to remain active, you know, is so uh, so vital and important. So I suppose, again, within the age friendly uh, supporting community groups, you know, to undergo training with um, the Alzheimer's Society, bringing, you know, people of interest together that we can support that. I'm working at the moment with the Health and Wellbeing within Tipperary GA on their participation and also um, looking at the Sporting Memories Programme. You might have um, heard some. I did indeed, yes. I know, uh, mm. Donegal and Wexford are, have recently completed this. So this is, you know, reminiscence is usually mm. important for people living with dementia and I can still you know, that, uh, I suppose, that sense of connection. And our own Pat Bracken, the library service, has an amazing uh, collection of me- memorabilia and sporting memorabilia that, um, you know, he brings to some of the memory cafes around the county that pr- uh, provides a huge hit. Because obviously they promote that mm. uh, reminiscence, uh, you know, across. Um, so, so it is about that supporting communities, having that social connection where we live um, and, and support our families and our friends that are on that journey with dementia within our own community. The dementia spectrum, of course, is is vast from people who might be 
particularly, I suppose, in the early stages of it. And I often feel, Fiona, and I know you've spoken to me about this in the past, that, you know, if there was more awareness of people in, in shops and uh, people, you know, when you come to a counter and somebody is in the early stages of dementia, to be very, very patient, but to be aware, I suppose, of maybe somebody's confusion. And they might need a little more kindness, a little more time. Exactly, and, you know, how we can be aware of the environment and, you know, that maybe a quiet space is needed for that person to have that conversation. So, again, we would encourage businesses and practitioners across the county to take part in not only the age-friendly training that supports, you know, supporting older adults in our society, but also, again, an element within that is dementia awareness training. So, I'd encourage even just look in your own office or your own um, retail outlet today, walk your business, look at your signing, look at your lighting, you know, your signage, you know, are, are they accessible for somebody maybe that is, um, you know, that would have cognitive uh, challenges, you know, are the surfaces, are they dementia friendly, you know, are they, but ultimately it is about, I suppose, supporting the person and trying not to put them under pressure, you know, um, you know, seeing mm. Again, it's to support them and just have that patience, I suppose, and understanding, supporting that person that comes in, has been coming into your shop for years. And, you know, um, maybe you notice, um, you know, maybe a mm. decline in their engagement with you. You know, so how you, um, in order to support that person remaining coming into your premises, was there training that you'd like to do? And on, if you look up... Um, on, www.understandtogether.ie it gives a list of uh, resources um, and training support for businesses and also you can make contact with uh, myself at agefriendly um, at tabericoco.ie um, and uh, in the coming months we'll be uh, promoting I suppose that business engagement and training again we have recent 30 businesses there yeah, have recently yeah. completed the training and that's something we will be trying to get all of the business across all of the towns in the county to have all of our towns um, you know, being dementia friendly um, and supporting those living within our community. Friendship as well is, is vital, Fiona. And, you know, I saw this with my own father that, you know, it's it's very important for people to stay connected with the person who is on that dementia uh, journey. It, it's not always easy, but it, it certainly is vital, isn't it? Right, exactly. And like the, all the practitioners would say that and those living with in terms of it's still the same friend, same um, family member. So to see the person, not the dementia, you know, to see the importance of staying in touch. If they used to go to the match, but you still go to the match with that person, you know, try and maintain... Mm. I suppose that familiarity and the routine, you know, as much as possible and supporting, um, you know, uh, as much as possible. Um, we have a range of dementia cafes as well across the county. Um, so within, there's a new one in Ballina, Killaloo, in Nina, Rothbury, uh, Tipperary Town, um, the Millennium Family Resource Centre, Clonmel. I know you, Mark Reese, um was with you. Um, she she was a marvellous guest, uh, Fiona. Yeah. She was just a marvellous guest, um, yeah. A fantastic advocate, yeah. and, you know, so she's there hoping to set one up now in cash and, and there's also uh, one hopefully going to start with the men's shed in feathers. So I suppose they're all supported by local volunteers, by practitioners, and also our two dementia advisors, Gemma and David, you know, so... Mm. Because my role there really is trying to promote some of them to the newsletters or looking for guest speakers, 
maybe supporting with mindfulness uh, training and support for the families attending. Um, you know, so that's my role in terms of that facilitation. Yes. And um, so, but like they're all um, extremely well supported on the ground at a local level. And I suppose that's the importance, isn't it? I think is the local level. And you're well, sure that's, that's it's somewhere sure. where you're... What, what yeah. about technology, Fiona? Should we keep uh, technology in mind here as well? Without question, and again, um, the memory technology room. So Emma and Carmel are married in the Thurlist Technology Library. So anyone that don't know the HSC have an amazing resource. You can go visit, try out some technologies to see how they can support you remain living at home. And with it, we've also partnered with the, the libraries, um, uh, like memory libraries and mm. also library libraries. We have some technology that we have there that people can loan out and try um, that are referred um, from um, either MMRA in terms of digital devices. And we're looking to expand the range of technologies there that we can, you know, that people can try them out because obviously there's a cost associated with the purchase and to see if there are benefits uh, to the persons. But definitely MMRA um, lines in either the two memory technology rooms, Camel and Carlos. Will be you know be very good to um, get in touch with them again. Their details are on the Understand Together website or also to the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland free phone number eighteen hundred three four one three four one. But the more we embrace what you've been speaking to us about, the better, I suppose, because the number of people being diagnosed, as I said in the intro, Fiona, um, it seems to increase every year. Increasing, and I suppose it's. I suppose we have to look at our own lifestyles and our risk factors in terms yeah. of how can we help prevent that. So you know that staying connected, the eating well, the smoking, you know, cessation, and um, all of these contribute to our brain health and to our overall physical health. So I suppose the importance of having that living and and healthy to maintain, um, you know, an overall general health, and that contributes to brain health then as well. Well, Fiona, thanks for your time today. And just it's uh, understandtogether.ie. There's a free phone number as well, isn't there? Yes, yeah, so 1800 All right. So really good to talk to you, uh, Fiona. Thank you and good morning okay. to you. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. That's uh, Fiona Crotty there, age friendly Tipperary. That's uh, part of uh, Tipperary County Council. And uh, they're doing uh, fantastic work indeed. Uh, back to the driving lessons and uh, tax on the... Driving lessons are generally subject to VAT at the reduced rate, Fran. However, lessons concerning instructions in vehicles which are designed or constructed for the carriage of 1.5 tonnes of goods or more or for the carriage of nine persons or more, including the driver, are exempt from tax. Further information is available in uh, the link below. It says here, revenue.ie. So thank you for that. I must uh, have a look at that because there's, yeah, opinions are differing on on, on that. Let me just have a look at it, uh, possibly during news. News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Kilkenny. A free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage Puck On on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. That's the free phone number if you want to speak to Leanne today. Um, the text and WhatsApp is 083 and the email is open to you at any time at all. That's tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, Neve Griffin in today's examiner is telling us that patients are dying of neglect at University Hospital Limerick. Advocates have claimed as overcrowding hit a national record high of 150 people without a bed yesterday. A protest is now being planned for outside the Doyle with uh, organisers urging people from Limerick, Clare and Tipperary indeed to attend the HSE over the weekend, apologising to patients from North Tip, uh, Limerick and Clare for the long wait at uh, the hospital. And a Tipperary councillor, Councillor Shamie Morris, calling for an immediate emergency meeting to address the overcrowding at UHL. Well, Dr. Conor Reedy, great friend to the show, is uh, part of Midwest Hospital Group, and of course, Nina needs its A and E group as well. And he joins me now. Good morning to you, Connor. Hello, Fran. How are you today? Um, One hundred and fifty people yesterday, Connor. I mean, you know, really. People in the Midwest need to clearly understand that in terms of emergency health care, we are now in the most dangerous situation we've ever been in. Um, We've reached a treacherous fork in the road and there are two options we can take. One is a path to a restoration of sane policy change around emergency medicine and the other is into the abyss. And I have to say we're very close to the latter right now. Yesterday's trolley numbers shattered all previous records, exposed the complete and utter failure of decades of government policy. It exposed us in the Midwest to the unique to our unique vulnerability. Um, We in the campaign are actually appealing to the public right now to take care of your well-being in the coming days and weeks, reduce any activity that may cause risk or accident or or serious illness. If you're vulnerable, please don't put yourself in situations that may cause you to require medical treatment. Do not do anything that could cause you to require the services of um, University Hospital Limerick Emergency Department in the days ahead. Connor, um, that's, that's an incredible... Come to. That's, and, and I know you mean this with, with, with a full heart, but that's an incredible statement to have to make, Connor. It is the reality that we have come to a place where it has it has descended apparently to utter carnage. University Hospital Limerick used to have an emergency department. Yesterday, it seems, and over the course of of recent days, the entire hospital became one giant emergency department as people were spread out on trolleys all across the hospital, wherever they could be fit, in cardiac day wards and so forth, in order to facilitate those trolleys. People need to realise how bad this is. You do not want to be going there right now and I don't do this and I don't say this and we in the campaign don't say this um, for the sake of hyperbole or headlines or anything like that. The last thing we would want to do is scare people and the first thing we would do is, so I, I want to be clear on what I'm saying, if you need emergency medical care, you call that ambulance, you get to an emergency department but what we're saying is because you know, we we can't advise people any you know not to do that. Mm, we would never mm, advise course, people not yeah. to do that. That would be irresponsible. So be very clear on that. But what we are saying is, please, please lower your risk 
right now of needing to go to an emergency, to UHL emergency department. Mm. Please, please look after yourselves because that's where we're at. When you spoke to me, first of all, around the the organisation starting off, and I think it was 2020, I think at that stage we were talking about 90 people on trolleys, 90 people without a bed. Now we're 40% 40 more at this point. Um, The Midwest Hospital campaign and Nina Needs at A&D both kind of came rose out of the ashes in midsummer to mid, mid to late summer and into the early autumn of 2019 and somewhere around that period later later that winter of 2019 um we had 96 people on trolleys at UHL and that was a seen as a stark and frightening figure at the time um Yesterday, Fran, was the 16th day in a row where there were over 100 patients on trolleys in UHL. And we must remember that it has been well proven now, and as we've said this before uh, in front of Eroctus, uh, the Eroctus uh, Petitions Committee, mm. that for every 82 patients waiting on trolleys, at least one will die. Um, so that is where we're at. And uh, that that's going back to that number of that that kind of led to our foundation and happened around the time of our foundation of ninety six. That was a bit of an outlier at that time because it was the numbers were high, mm. but they weren't that high, and that's why ninety six was seen as a crisis point. Well, the day before yesterday, it was one hundred and thirty eight, a record breaking number. Um, yesterday's number uh, blew everything. Uh, sky high, uh, not just in terms of UHL's own record, but in terms of any hospital uh, in this country since since records have started yeah. to be taken. Connor, would you react to what the minister told the examiner? He's quoted in the examiner today as saying, there's no standing over those kind of numbers. We've invested more in University Hospital Limerick in the time of this government than in any other hospital, end of quote. That was his reaction to this. So there's no acceptance that this is a disaster and that it needs to be rethought. Um, first of all, <laughs> you know, this is the great Minister Donnelly who told you that configuration clearly hadn't worked yeah. last year. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it was 2022 now. It's amazing how time flies. Um, put it this way, there's no other hospital that comes close to this level of overcrowding, okay? And that is because the Midwest Hospital Region, Fran, is the only hospital region that doesn't have a supporting Model 3 hospital uh, to support the work of the Model 4, which is the category that UHL is. That would be the likes of Nina or Ennis, is it? uh, Exactly. When you speak of a Model 3, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, because we don't have it, so we need one of them to become a Model 3. They're not Model 3s at the moment. So we go from Model 2 straight up to Model 4 in the region with nothing in between. UHL would be a, a Model 4. And that's why we're consistently in this situation. Um, and so we have a population of, a, a huge population. There's an awful lot of excuses being put forward. And central to these excuses, excuses is, of course, the famous claim that the clinical advice does not support the reopening of the emergency mm. department. Yeah. Now, we're, what we're trying to understand is what clinicians would advise that this situation should continue. Because it's totally and utterly unsafe for patients and it needs to be looked at not in a review in six months time not you know next year now the f- they say that the funding isn't there they say that the resources aren't there 
But do you know it is there? The demand is there. The huge demand and the need for these these restorations or some form of restoration is there. Mm. The clinical advice apparently says that UHL is the only viable emergency department in this region of roughly 425,000 people. Think about that. One Model 4 hospital, 425,000 people and and no Model 3. And we stopped accepting that advice, that, that, that those arguments a long time ago. Um, we we question who these clinicians are that are advising the minister on this, that 150 patients on trolleys is an acceptable scenario. We have questioned uh, Tisha Faradkar to his face. We have um, questioned C- the CEO of the HSE, Bernard Gloucester, to his face. And we need to know who these people are and we need to look into their credentials and credibility. Um, we also, when we talk about the Minister for Health, and I mean, he's talking about all this investment um, that's being poured in. But none of, us, none of it is restructuring the system. None of it is reforming the system. All of it is pouring um, more money, more resources, more personnel into a failed system, into a failed reconfiguration. Um, so we don't believe that the Minister for Health is as powerless in this situation as he'd like to make out. Um, yeah, because he's, he's giving the impression, well, I mean, not only is it an impression, there's, there's truth in it, that, that money is being thrown at, at this. And I think, is it an extra thousand people is working in the facility over the last few years? So so the claim is, yes, absolutely. Um, and again, because I, I, I would come back and, and look, We've all known that the HSE is a black hole in terms of money. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, it just seems to uh, it just seems to absorb money like a sponge absorbs water, really and truly. And we don't always see where it goes. We don't always see the results on the ground for the patients, for the lived experience. So we had uh, Minister of State Niall Collins on, on Radio 1 yesterday evening on drive time um, with David Cullinan of Sinn Féin and uh, Minister Collins was doing what you know governments always do, which they start the interview with uh, spinning out all of these great numbers and all these great figures and investments and thousands this and hundreds that. And it all sounds so wonderful. And it's, it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a line of spin that Michal Martin himself invented back in the day when he was Minister for Health because blind them with numbers. And But essentially, uh, Fran, the lived experience on the ground does not bear out uh, for either for staff working at the coalface or for service users, i.e. the patients, the, the patients that are suffering. And um, does not bear out the results of all of this wonderful investment in these thousands of people and tens and millions of of euro and we're just not seeing the results on the ground. So that's why we keep coming back to this idea of a need for structural reform of the system, for uh, a a full tacit acknowledgement that the which you've had, as I say, that reconfiguration has Mm -hmm. failed and we need to go back to the drawing board and look at a new plan um, that we need to take on board the recommendations of HICWA from as far back as 2022. But they don't seem to be for turning on, on uh, this. And it, it is one of the big issues of our time here in, 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 in the area of Tipperary and Limerick. And, yes. and, and uh, you know, your protest in Limerick showed the amount of people who have very strong feelings about this, Connor. <laughs> 
but still nobody's listening. And to be honest with you, the public representation on this is kind of poor, to say the least, is it not? <laughs> You're very generous there, Fran. The public representation um, has been appalling. Appalling doesn't even come close to what it is and what it has been. Um, and we have uh, Councillor Jamie Morris at local level uh, whose call, of course, we support for a meeting of political stakeholders and members of the campaign and so forth. And absolutely, um, we support that and we've, we've consulted with him on that. Um, and and, and Jamie, as you know, has, it has been the, the lone political voice, really, in all of this over years now, um, our national political representation on this has been shocking. It's shameful. Um, we don't we don't need our our TDs. If if their party whip says, if their party line says, okay, and and we know that because Sinn Fein certainly don't support the reopening of emergency departments. They're very much actually in line with government policy. When you tease it out, there's there's no new ideas there either. Um, but what what? So if you don't agree with us that EDs need to be restored and uh, reopened. Fine. You don't have to agree with us. But I've always said, Fran, surely, surely to God they can agree with us that the status quo is unacceptable and needs you see, they, they'll, always point, they'll always point to the investment and the future results of that investment. But are you telling me, Connor, taking all of that into account there still will be issues because you still won't have the backup of a Model 3 hospital. And that is the that is the core and key thing. And that is the thing that, that HICWA recommended in 2022 following their unannounced inspection uh, at UHL, which was kind of a landmark moment, really, for all of us. And that was something that they recommended. And it is not being discussed. It is not being talked about. And it is... It is absolutely essential. I mean, every other health region in the country has this. Now, we've also had this thing, you know, that this narrative that we've seen come out that, well, Waterford Hospital does very, very well a lot of the time. And it does. And a part of that is, of course, down to probably better management. Mm. But there is another issue that people in that region will have much quicker access to other EDs. Um, Mm. Do you mean like what, like like Wexford, uh, for instance? Yes, that that, that, that depending where you're living then within the Waterford catchment area, you will have access to other EDs in a much shorter time period Mm. than anyone here in remote West Clare or remote North Tipperary or wherever. Yeah, because I heard that point made this morning. I mean, the area is so vast, what we're talking about here. You could be driving to the hospital for more, more than an hour in some cases, and, you know, that's going to have a result... Uh, on your condition as well, Connor. In in the early days of the campaign, somebody came up with the great quote was, "You're talking Laura to Loophead." So you're talking Laura at the very north of Tipperary uh, to Loophead in the very far coast of Clare. Wow. And you know, if anyone ever takes a drive around West Clare, rural West Clare, or rural North Tipperary yeah. or East Clare yeah. or anywhere like that, okay. I mean. You know, you, you, you go drive... That's that's big countryside. That's bigger than it looks on a map, believe it or not. That's that's vast countryside in, in, in all across these counties. And and by the way, you're taking all of Limerick and Limerick City, Limerick County and City, into that catchment area as well. It is not sustainable. It wasn't sustainable when downgrading began in 2009. It has only gotten worse. 
The system was told by thousands of people who marched on the streets at the time. They were told, the politicians were told in 2009, no, don't do this. This is going to fail. It has failed and failed miserably. But it has gotten to, it has gotten us all the way to yesterday, Fran, and that terrifying figure. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to scare people or I'm not engaging in hyperbole here because I don't do that and I know the dangers of doing that. Um, they can be very risky. Mm. But we are in the most dangerous situation we've been in. And yeah. who is well, going you, to stand up You have up the regional executive officer of the HSE saying, you know, it's important that locals consider all available opportunities or options for medical care rather than turning up at ED, you know. Now, when, when you have to self-diagnose, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I've said this to you before, I'm very yeah, concerned yeah. that people will be self-diagnosing, you know. Is it indigestion or have I am I having a heart attack? I mean, how can a normal person decide on that? Yes, you know? yeah, this is 100% true. Um, you you just simply, this is why these services, this is why people pay a huge amount of taxes in this country, because they, this is part of the deal. This is part of the deal that people make at 16 or 18 years of age when they go out into the workforce. That I'm going to work, I'm going to pay uh, tax, and you're going to, and I'm going to pay tax at high rates, uh, you know, the, the more I earn, and you're going to provide services. That's the deal. That's always been the basic deal here. And um, we have fallen so far away from that. We fought, and, and people are not qualified. None of us are qualified of uh, to make that self-diagnosis. It's dangerous. It's, 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 it's as dangerous as me saying don't go to an A&E because um, I would never say that. But I'm saying don't put yourself in a position. Or you have yes, to go to, to an A&E. Mind That's yourself, basically, thing. as mind best yourself. you can, but I suppose, is what you say. Yeah. What you say is absolutely 100% correct, Fran. Um, the time it might take to get yourself to a GP, as they recommend, or get an appointment to see a GP, um, or get get yourself into a, a pharmacy or an out-of-hours an out, an out uh, GP service, all of this could be precious time. Um, when you're when you need a diagnosis of something chronic that might be happening to you, so can I uh, it, can I it, ask you finally, yeah. Connor, that protest yeah. uh, that uh, was referred to in the Examiner today uh, being planned for outside of the Doyle? I, pr- I presume your your organisations are part of that. No, no. Um, that's part of the protest of UHL group, which is a very oh, separate okay. group. To right. um, uh, is to that a good idea? Do you think? Um, look, everything should be on the table. Mm. Everything should be on the table in terms of groups like ours keeping the message front and centre. We have an awful lot of activity going on at the moment. Um, You'll remember we were before the Petitions Committee on the 15th of November. Um, The issue comes back before the Petitions Committee of Eraptus Aaron today. And um, we had a list of people. um, Our delegation agreed a short list Mm. of people at the committee on the 15th of November where we would uh, ask the committee to bring them in and uh, get some to to start to tease out what's going on here. They're not turning up. up. The Minister for Health, the clinical director of the UL Hospitals Group, uh, and the author of that HICWA report that found the hospital non compliant in relation to two national standards, none of them apparently are available um so you know that says uh what what it needs to say so we have that going on we have a a lot of other activities going on right now i'm not saying protests won't be on the cards down the line but it's not it you know and sometimes they can happen very very quickly 
they can raise it. We can raise right. it. We can raise the process. Connor, I, 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 must, I must leave it there, but a uh, huge, so huge response to this as always. Connor, thanks for your time this morning. Thank, Thank you so much, friend. Thank Good you. morning. Bye bye. Uh, Dr. Connor Reedy speaking to us there from Midwest uh, Hospital Group. I'm always at pains to point out, though, uh, Dr. Uh, Connor Reedy is not a medical doctor, by the way. Um, okay, and it's important to point that out. Uh, we'll take a break back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Puck On, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, if I can address the people of Cashel, because yesterday, as you know, we spoke to Martin Brown and Tom Wood and uh, others about the roundabout um, chaos, indeed, on Borglock Street in Cashel. We asked for a representative of Tipperary County Council to come along and speak to us because uh, there was a grave concern indeed about the amount of money that's probably been wasted in the area. But anyway, nobody was available to talk to us, but they have sent us a statement on that and uh, it says... A Tipperary County Council constructed nine dwellings on a derelict brownfield site of Borclock Street in Cashel. As a condition of getting a water connection, Ishka Ern conditioned that the existing water mains serving the town of Cashel be upgraded for a distance of 147 metres prior to the roundabout being installed. And this work was carried out by contractors working on behalf of Ishka Ern from the 23rd of November to the 22nd of December. It was also conditioned in the design phase that the housing section review the junction from Borough Clock to the green in the design for the entrance to the housing estate to improve the junction. A number of new pedestrian crossing points were also being installed to assist accessibility to the junction. Uh, work consisting of footpaths, drainage and the roundabout commenced on the 4th of January. During the course of the works it was observed and that there uh, may be a difficulty with larger HGVs on the roundabout and whilst they could navigate around it there was little tolerance for driver error. Following a review by the external design team further detailed simulations were carried out it was decided to alter the central island levels and to remove an island. Uh, this work was carried out on Tuesday morning this work was planned to tie in with the ongoing resurfacing works and resurfacing works on the public road will be completed this week. Weather dependent, there will be minor localised works installing road markings, uh, beacons, etc. Tipperary County Council apologises for any inconvenience caused and we appreciate the statement but still um, the questions that have uh, emerged um, really haven't been dealt with in that. You know, it, it strikes me that this could all have been sorted out initially if there was proper consultation with uh, people who would know about these things and not have something constructed at large cost and then taken away again. And it also doesn't deal in the statement with how much money uh, was wasted where this is concerned. But anyway, that is the statement from the uh, County Council. Now, this year's National Daffodil Day campaign video went live yesterday and it's fronted by a local Tipperary mother and her daughter who have both faced struggles living with cancer. And let me bring you a little from the audio part of that video. I kind of knew in my heart of hearts that she had leukaemia. 
we literally just dropped everything when she was diagnosed. We were up and down to Crum and then for her treatment. Couldn't believe that we were taking the long walk down to St John's Ward. The Irish Cancer Society have staff up on St John's Ward in Crumlin. They were supporting us all the way. She was improving, we thought, at the time. The Irish Cancer Society have been a huge support to our family over the last 16 months, firstly with Sinead and now unfortunately with me as well. I was diagnosed with pleomorphic lobular carcinoma in situ. It's a rare breast cancer. And I remember sitting, at, looking at the professor and I says, I want a double mastectomy. And he said, are you sure? And I says, yes, I don't have time for any of this. I says, I have a child to get better. And that uh, voice there is that of uh, Margaret Walsh, who joins me now. Margaret, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well indeed, but more importantly, how are you, Margaret? We're fine, we're fine. We keep going day by day, the most important thing. Tell me, first of all, about uh, Sinead and her diagnosis, if you would, Margaret. I will. Uh, Sinead had a sore arm in May 2022, and I brought her down to the hospital in Castlebar, because I'm living there now. I'm originally Mark O'Connor from Nina. Um, brought her down to Castlebar and told me it was muscular, but I wasn't happy with um, what they were telling me, and I refused to leave the hospital until they took blood samples. And we came home, but sure, they had rung us within the hour to tell us to go back down. And then they were telling us that she had an infection because her platelets and her white blood cell count and everything were they were all over the place. And I asked them in Castlebar the end of May, did she have leukemia? And they said, no, she didn't. She had an infection. But unfortunately, and they sent her home, but I wasn't happy with her. And she kept getting sore as pains in her bones and her bones were sore. So I kept going back to the doctor and he sent us to Galway as well. So two and a half weeks later, she actually was diagnosed with leukaemia, which I had suspected from the very beginning. As her, father, as her granddad, my father-in-law had had multiple myeloma, which is similar to it. But your instinct, your mother's instinct all along was telling you that she had leukaemia, but, but they, uh, were, they yeah. were disagreeing with you, Margaret. Unfortunately, yeah. I just had it in my heart of hearts that she did have it because I just recognised all the words and phrases from when my father-in-law was diagnosed. And, uh, yeah, I was banging on doors. To be fair, our local, our local doctor was fantastic and he listened to me, you know, and he said, you, you said all along that there's something wrong with her and he says, I trust the mother. Fair play to him. What age was Sinead at that time? She was 13. My God, what, what a blow that must have been for it you. It was and family, shock, huh? huge shock, you know, and when they broke the news to me down in Galway, the, the whole team were there with me and I wasn't crying at the beginning and the nurse said, are you all right? And I said, you're only, you're only telling me what I had suspected and asked in, in Mayo, you know, two and a half weeks earlier. Now, I appreciate that um, it was like, the, uh, I described it as baking a cake. All the all the ingredients were there and it was developing, developing, developing. And when we had left Galway on the Friday, uh, one Friday in June, she didn't have the leukaemia but when we went back on Friday the 22nd of June um, she had hit all the markers for leukaemia and she was officially diagnosed then on the 24th of June 2022 I, I, I presume it would have been better for her outcome if she was diagnosed earlier Margaret uh, You actually couldn't get her any earlier than we got her friend yeah. you know, yeah. she had no broken bones, no bruises no anything, it's just I just kept chipping away at it I, was just, I, had, it in, I had it in my head that she had leukaemia We'd had it. We'd seen it with my father-in-law in the house, so I, I just I recognised I recognised everything. 
Well, what about Sinead herself then? I mean, how much were you able to tell her or did you tell her everything? How, how did that No, work? we told her everything. She wanted, she wanted to know. She knew there was something up mm. and uh, the doctors in Galway explained it to her and then we've, uh, that was on the the Friday evening and then we went straight, we went to Crumlin that Sunday and on Monday the doctors came in and they said, do you want us to tell her everything or do you want to, uh, would we drip feed her? But what um, about the give Sinead the option as well and Sinead wants to know everything. So they do, they, they explain it in teenager words but they, they were, they're quite open and upfront with her. And how, how did she take that? Uh, she took it in, she was quiet enough and she took it in, but um, they told her. They told her, you know. They said they told us after the ninety percent um, success rate, but unfortunately, the ten percent outcome, where uh, yeah, it's bad news. But I refused to accept the ten percent. We just said no. Our child is going to get better. My husband Brendan and I. And what about the treatment commenced then? I guess uh, Margaret. It completely yeah it started immediately. It's uh, it was we landed on the Sunday night, and by Tuesday she was in theatre to get a Hickman line in. And chemo starts straight away. You know, the fact that we'd gotten it so early, they were hitting it hard. And how, how did she deal with chemo and uh, the the effects well, no, of chemo? Was, yeah, she was sick, unfortunately, and she lost her hair, and that was devastating because um, she had beautiful, long, blonde hair. So we dyed it pink. She wanted pink hair for, for a while beforehand. So, yeah. so Brendan went out and we bought about four boxes of pink dye some chemist in Dublin and we came back and we destroyed the room with pink <laughs> everywhere but she was happy. <laughs> right, that was important for her at that point. Oh, it yeah. was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very important. What, what, so, sta- what stage is she at now then, Margaret? She is in maintenance. She's had a tough She's had a tough 18 months now. It's normally two years for a girl and three years for a boy uh, treatment but she developed uh, diabetes from the steroids. She developed, uh, she was jaundiced. She developed sepsis then. And she ended up in ICU. She was pretty sick then. That was last July, 12 months. Uh, then followed on from that, then she ended up with an infection or spine osteomyelitis. Oh my God. So she was on t- uh, 24-hour antibiotics for about seven or eight months. But I learned how to do all that at home so that we could bring her home. It's safer to be at home, in my opinion, anyway. And I learned how to admi- do, uh, administer her chemo at home and do her bloods and all of that. We were very much hands-on with her. Uh, Brendan and myself at home. And and the prognosis now with her? Uh, well, she's good. She's yeah, she's good. She's, yeah, good. she's a tough night. Winter, winter is hard for her because um, yeah. her immune system is very low. So she's she's had protracted uh, bacterial bronchitis oh. for the last few months. And uh, she's just back out of hospital again in IV drugs. But she's improving. She's improving again. She was back in theatre yesterday in Crumlin. We're actually still in Dublin. Every 12 weeks she gets chemo up her spine to protect her brain. So it's uh, it's, it's a full-time job. And on top of that full-time job then, Margaret, there was your own diagnosis. Uh, mm, there was, Will yeah. you tell me about that? I can. I had a whitehead spot on my left breast uh, last Christmas, 12 months, Christmas, December 2022, and I literally had the car packed to go up to Crumlin. So I went over to the local doctor because I was sore, and she said, oh, I'll send you down to get it drained and cast the bar, and I said, I don't have time for that. I said, please just drain it for me. So she did, but I came back in January, and uh, I went back across to her again, and she says, I don't like having to do with the boob. She says, I'm referring you on to, on to um, a specialist. Yes. So um, I went down to the Galway, the Galway Clinic, Professor Ray McLaughlin, and actually I wasn't, even meant to, I wasn't even meant to see him that day. I was meant to see somebody else, but I was lucky. He had a cancellation, and they had emailed me. So for the next morning, and I went down, he does a triple assessment, which I'd never even heard of. 
with a mammogram, an ultrasound and a biopsy. So my mammogram and my ultrasound came back clear on the day and he was talking to me before I left the Galway clinic that day and he said, look, he said, everything looks clear. Best of luck to you, he said, um, and best of luck to your daughter, Sinead. I will, um, I'll write out to you in two weeks with the results. And he says, don't be worried about anything. But then a week later, 091 was on my phone. It was ringing and I went, oh no. I just thought to myself, this is I'm in trouble here. So they just didn't say it on the phone, just said, can you be down in the morning? So my husband and myself went down and they thought it was LCIS originally, uh, a lobular carcinoma in situ, but he said, we want to do a lumpectomy. He says, before we confirm anything. So I said, fine. So I had to sneak out then, out the door, so that Sinead wouldn't realise, or yes. the other children, we three older children. We didn't want them yeah. to know that yeah. I was popping up and down to go all the way to the Galway Clinic. So friends of mine, uh, my friend brought me down and I had two centimetres removed. And then uh, two weeks later, they rang and they said, can you come in? So uh, there was no chat on the phone at all, so I went fine. So we, we snuck off again the next morning and uh, they, they upgraded into pleomorphic lobular carcinoma in situ. I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of any of these yeah. lobular cancers. Um, and uh, he said, we want to go in again. He said... Uh, so they went in again and it took four, another four centimetres of a lumpectomy and two weeks later went down and he basically said that the left breast was, it was full of it, of this PLCIS and he said, your left breast has to go. And I went, fine. And he says, I'm high risk on the right one. I says, well, what does that mean? He says, the mammogram and an ultrasound and MRIs and biopsies every six months. And I just looked at him and I said, I don't, I, now I wasn't as polite as I was there now in the clip you, play, you played. But yes, I said, yeah. I don't have time for any of this. I said, we have a daughter to get better. And I said, I, I, said, I want to double the stick. And he said, you sure? And I said, yes. So that's where we are. Couldn't believe it. I had to break the news then to the kids afterwards. Oh my you know, God. but I'm lucky it was caught very, very early by accident, but very, very early. And um, so I'm way ahead of the game, you know. And, and you're well now, Margaret. Um, I'm having my mastectomy next week. Oh, oh I, I beg your pardon, you haven't had it oh, yet. Yeah. Yes. No, no, it's Valentine's Day. I'm remodelling. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm fine. No symptoms, no anything. Turns out the spot I had on my left breast was pure coincidence. So someone was looking down at me. Otherwise, you wouldn't have known. No, I wouldn't have known until it was too late. It's often not caught until it's stage three or stage four. So it was a huge shock. I'm kind of... And like I said, in very, very early stages, it's often, it often hides behind dense breast tissue, which is why it doesn't show up on a mammogram or an ultrasound. So it's just it was a huge shock. Cause I'd never, I just thought breast cancer was breast cancer. I didn't realise it was all different, all different types. Uh, you know, Sinead's leukaemia or indeed your, your own diagnosis, either of those isolated would be huge to deal with. The two of them together, Margaret, where, where do you get that strength from? Where, where does just, that come you, from? You just have to keep going. You know, we're a great family. Um, my parents are still living in Nina there, Joe and Josie O'Connor. Um, you know, they were always very strong people and they were very strong with us growing up. But the way I look at it, somebody said to me after Sinead was diagnosed, oh, he said, I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't be able for it. I said, but what am I going to do? Give her back? I said, I can't give her back. You know, we just have to keep going now. So we get up every morning, put a smile on the face and we just figure out what we're going to do for the day. You know, whatever we need to fight, we fight. But that must be exhausting, uh, emotionally and physically. Oh, it is, yeah. My husband is on the road full-time with her. He's uh, He had to give up his job. He's still farming all right, and uh, he's on the road with her an awful lot. He's her care. 
So between between uh, runs and food and everything else, it's just, you know, we're just constantly juggling timetables. That's what it is, you know, because we're in Crumlin. We're in Crumlin the last four weeks on the trot. So, it's, you know, it's hard. But we try to make time as a family as well. It's very important that we sit around the table and we have the dinner and we play the cards. You know, those little things. Yes, big, we don't big, get sucked into it. Yeah. Because you, you have your other children to, to be concerned oh, about. Oh, we do. Well, three older suppose, yes. We have three older children. The oldest, Joseph, he's 22. Kira's 21. Sarah's 17. And Sinead will be 15 next month. Right. So, they, I mean, there's, there's a big effect on them as well. They're, oh, there's a huge effect. A huge yeah. effect. So we try to keep things as normal as we can at home. Yes. You know, and we've made time as a family. I was, we were quite adamant about that from the beginning. You know, like when we're home, I don't want people gallivanting or, you know, we just have to put a few hours aside when we're all together and just enjoy ourselves. For, for family, of course, yeah. Yes. We, we, we've been talking about care in the HSE just throughout the uh, the morning, Margaret. I'm just wondering, I mean, how would you sum up the care both that Sinead got and the indeed that you got yourself? Well, on the day I first brought her down to Castlebar to A&E, when she had the solar shoulder, it was carnage down there. There is no other way to describe it. No carnage. other way. Carnage. And I felt so sorry for them. I don't know how people work in conditions like that. I don't, you know, and only for I was able to I was able to speak up and fight for Sinead. They wouldn't even, you know, they weren't going to take in her bloods that night, but I refused to leave until they took her bloods, you know. Yeah, but uh, that that shouldn't be down to, to you, if you know what I mean, Margaret. You oh, know I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah we uh, had a discussion when the, uh, when the Irish Cancer Society asked us would we front daffodil day, and my husband and I and the, the three older kids were, they were fine about it. Sinead was a bit apprehensive, but, uh, you know, when I was talking to her and I said, you know, I said, we were able to fight for you. I said, imagine all the parents that are out there that can't fight for whatever reason. You know, people, some people would just, you know, they'd just say, OK, yeah, right. And then there's yeah. a language barrier because, you know, there's a lot of people coming into hospital as well. And, you know, you're trying to work through Google Translate and all that. And it's just crazy. You know, it's not fair in anybody. You know, we were able to be the voice and the fighters for Sinead. So, you know, and yeah, but like you said, it's hard fighting. You know, we shouldn't have to fight. You shouldn't have to fight. Of course you no. shouldn't because it's it's no. just so draining to deal with the issues at hand, uh, I suppose, Margaret. Um, being the voice and uh, fronting the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day uh, video then particularly, and indeed the PR for, for the day itself, what is that like? Because, you know, I know you're private people, Margaret, and here you are talking to me and talking to everybody else as well. How How do you feel about that? Uh, well, I felt it was very necessary to be able to get out our story, you know, yeah. because we were able to get Sinead diagnosed so quickly that, you know, she, she, she's she's out the other side of it now. You know, in 51 weeks, she's going to ring the bell, you know, and she's yes. she's good. Thank well, so you, Explain God. to us, that's a, that's kind of a tradition at this stage, isn't it, ringing the oh, bell it is. in the that's hospital? When, yeah, the, the, when she finishes treatment, she'll ring the bell up in Crumlin. So we're really, really looking forward to that day. Yeah, that will be a marvellous day. It will, it will, it will. I told her I'd be racing her to the bell that day. <laughs> well, <laughs> she, you, said, she said, I'll beat you, she says. Yeah, well, you both, you both should ring the bell. and That's, that's the way, way it should be. Yeah. Uh, Margaret, thank you so much for your time this morning. Can I wish you both well and indeed your family well too, Margaret? Thank and, you very uh, much. And I, 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 you're inspiring. I, I don't know where you find the strength from. I, I sit here some mornings, Margaret, and I'd be whinging if I got little sleep or I had a little touch of a headache or a sore throat or something. What you're dealing with is just absolutely amazing.
All right, Margaret. Apologies. Thank you, Dot. Thank you for talking to me. Okay, thanks. Thank for, thanks for that. Take right, care. Bye bye. You now, and of course, the Irish Society, Cancer Society's Daffodil Day, takes place on the twenty second of March this year, and you can donate and get involved at cancer.ie forward slash Daffodil Day. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Wear Upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage Pecan on 067 24111 or Slattery'sGarage.ie Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Now, I have rarely seen the staff of Tip FM so happy and gleeful and smiling, and that generally means that something is going to happen to me along the way. I'm glad to be joined, well, I think I'm glad to be joined, by Muriel Cuddy of Morito 8020, the clinic in Clanmel. Good morning to you, Muriel. Morning, Fran. <laughs> look at the look of absolutely <laughs> on her face. Will you tell the listeners why everybody's so happy around here? Okay, so you all know Fran is one of my favourite people, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't want Fran to die. <laughs> okay, so after last week and the sugars and all of that kind of piece, yeah. we decided today I was going to bring in my little mobile gadgets and we're going to test Fran's blood sugars. I think it was sending the photograph of the large Twix and the large Red Bull that really made you say... Totally, and it right. fell off the chair. Some, something else. Like, you can laugh at a certain level of it, but yeah, right. you're looking at it and you're you're bothered. So I'm going to take your blood sugars, Fran. Okay. You, you fasted, so you haven't fasted, eaten anything yeah. today. So no, I'm going no, to no. do the blood sugars to start. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk you through the blood sugars and what they mean, etc., and what it does within the body if the sugars are elevated, etc. Okay. And then we're going to take you're going to drink a can of Red Bull straight after we do the blood okay, sugars. Well, that's the good part. Yeah, so he'll have no problem. That'll and then you'll check seconds. me again. Is so that it? before I leave, then we'll check the blood sugars again. Now, normally you could leave up to like thirty anything from thirty minutes to two hours okay. between when you would actually check your blood sugars. But something like Red Bull is going to elevate your sugars immediately. Pretty so we're just going away. to actually just let people see right. how well, fast. T- tell me why you would be doing this kind of test and what it's going to tell you. So it's literally testing your blood sugars within the body. It's testing yes. the circulating blood sugars and this is really easy. So this is what people that are like diabetic, type 2 diabetic, type, you know, whatever, they'll do this every day to check their blood sugars. So a lot of people that are out there know exactly the machines I'm using. Mm. They know exactly how to do this and they monitor their blood, their blood glucose levels every single day right. to see where they're at and to see are they managing them properly. What is a good number, Muriel? So, under five is a good number. Okay. Okay. So, right. will we go with it? Well, let's, let's go with okay. it. I see Leanne is here videoing this. I see Caught is here with a big grin on her face as well. So, they have a big grin uh, on their face, but I've yeah. just said to the two girls, um, before I go, I'm going to actually take their blood sugars oh, as well. One. So, good I'll one. actually tell you that later on. So, yeah, even if they're afraid of needles <laughs> or anything, uh, we're going to do it anyway. So I'm afraid of the, needles as well. You've heard the giggle there behind, so uh, maybe oh, somebody isn't quite happy. So, mm. Leanne is videoing this, guy. So, if anybody wants to see it later on, it's on social media. All right, right okay. Media. Uh, so Muriel has to mo- move away from... I'm going to do a pinprick for Fran now, and he's closing his eyes. He's definitely not able to have a baby or anything. Ah! Ouch! Pinprick. It's actually pinprick. So I'm oh. just drawing a little blood from Fran now, okay? okay. From his finger. So I just need to get enough blood to put on my little strip. I know this job would eventually draw blood for me, but yeah. anyway. Okay. So you're taking so the blood. Taking the blood. Okay. This is my little machine. So I'm putting my little carrot thing into my Hang little on, machine. Hang on, we'll share this mic for a moment here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right, off so you go. So I've got the little strip in the machine. Okay. So I'm putting the blood in the strip. And it
Okay. Okay. So, so do you Franz wanna... bloods are actually perfect at this hour of the morning. Are they? So Franz bloods are around 5.8. Wow. So okay. if you had breakfast this morning, now that should be higher. Right. So the circulating blood or blood glucose levels or whatever. I was dreading this. Because you thought they'd be around 16 gonna... or something, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I know. Yeah. So that's all good for now. So um, he can relax on that piece. Okay. So now I'm going to put plaster in the finger because I don't want him to die at the sight of blood. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> A nice blue one, guys. What's well, left of There's my no credibility? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. a very colourful uh, yeah, yeah. plaster you have. So, uh, Fran, you need to drink the can of Red Bull. Okay, so while we're chatting, I'll drink this he's away going here. To drink. So, drink that as, so quick, I'm gonna put as you, quickly as you can. Okay, okay. I'm going to put you back to your, your microphone there. That's me opening a can of. So, girls, we'll get you later on. Yes, I see. Okay. Okay. Um, and, I mean, how often? I mean, okay, if you're not diabetic, how often should you have that done? Um, it really depends on your lifestyle. And, you know, it also depends on things like if there's signs of high blood sugars. If you know you have a lot of sugar in your in your uh, diet, that's one of the things. A lot of things that can cause high blood sugars. It doesn't have to be just overeating sugary processed foods. It can be other things. So it can be maybe you were sick and your system is, is just out of whack. Maybe you're stressed. Maybe you're less, ac- less active than you normally are and you're not usually the blood sugar properly um, it could be taking steroids it could be taking medicines so it can be things like that but the signs of having high blood sugar levels constantly right so if you're thirsty if you go to the toilet more often than normal okay yes. headaches blurred vision extremely tired if you lose weight for no uh, for an unexplained reason skin infections that's one of the biggest ones like I see like little things like even skin over the eyes or you know little patches on, on the body or whatever high levels of sugar v- uh, vaginal mm. yeast infections I don't, I don't think I have an issue with that as far as I know well I can only see your face so I don't know what the rest of <laughs> <laughs> you right. know, excuse me do you know yeah. skin tags I mean are they uh, no they no, wouldn't that's something different, different yeah okay. but even things like you know trouble healing from cuts and sores and wounds and okay. bruising and yes. things like and, and you wonder why it hasn't healed or whatever again it can be something that you're just not regulating the blood sugars and then stomach issues that I find every single day like the nauseousness the constipation diarrhea the bloating the heartburn all of that it's all signs that the blood sugars are just not being not being um, utilised properly and then high levels of blood sugar can cause other things like hardening of the blood vessels which is then like your you know uh-huh. um uh what you call it piece you know your blood your cholesterol piece yeah, the hardening yeah. of the arteries piece and that's really dangerous and the damaged blood vessels they're not just the hardening of the arteries now Fran is listening which is good and the more he takes in the red bull the more on high alert mm. he is so this mm. is really going to go in this morning right so like it affects your kidneys it affects your bones it affects it like it can cause heart attacks it can cause vision loss it can cause blindness it can cause a weakened immune system which means you're wide open to all the infections the COVIDs and all the different things that are out there at this time of the year it can call erecti- cause erectile dysfunction which we deal with in clinic mm-hmm. it can cause nerve damage so you know the tingling and all of that kind of thing and you're wondering where that's coming from and is it like a magnesium deficiency or whatever it can be the blood sugars it can cause poor blood flow and then like I said the wound healing so there's a lot there in relation to blood sugars right and I mean immediately my association is with you know drinking sugary drinks eating bars of chocolate but it's not necessarily it doesn't have to be like like I said the less active piece the stress piece. Yeah. Now, there can be a genetic piece as well. But you know, about 90% of the diabetes cases that are there are type 2 diabetes and not type 1. So, like, that's lifestyle. So, like, we have to get control of our lifestyle. You know, okay. it's, it's really important that we actually... And things like this, I keep saying it, what I've done there was so simple. Mm. Now, I know you can't draw blood in school or whatever, but I think if there was areas like this that even the younger generation could learn from... 
it should make a massive difference. So they actually know what foods within the body are going to spike their blood sugars and what foods are good and what will yeah, stabilise them. I didn't even know what the proper number was. I had to ask Pat Murphy, our resident expert on everything there uh, earlier on for that. And he's full of glee at the notion of me doing this with you uh, today as well. Um, OK, so tell me a bit more about the sugar then and uh, the blood sugars. Can I actually say Pat asked me as he was flying in, what do you do if Fran's sugars are sky high when ah, you start? You see, he was hoping for that. He's on his breakdown, he's tuned in. You Will know. I do Pat's? Oh, I'll tell you, I'd love that. Before I go? I'd love that, yeah. He's probably after eating now, so that should be brilliant. No, he ran that. away. He ran Did away he? to listen to this piece. That's the thing, you yeah. see, so he's, he's gone now. So, yeah, pe- people, mm. people are well able to talk. Sorry, mm. Pat, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's to walk the walk. And well done, Fran, because mm. that has to be the number one. Well done for actually getting the blood sugars done, because that is the starting place. So All your right. resting blood sugars were fine. You no. haven't eaten today no. and your sugars are where they should be when you haven't well, eaten. Well, I was bullied into not eating today. Yeah. You said don't I eat. I even messaged him last night, guys, I and I gave him this big long message of like, you remember, you're only allowed to drink water in the morning, <laughs> etc. So, I wouldn't um, mind, there, there was a box of celebrations. Is that what you call them? How could you eat them for no, breakfast? No, 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 I didn't. I didn't eat them last night, but they were there grigging me on, on okay. the sofa. Don't but have I them tonight either. No, I won't. Okay, Because yeah. people have said to me all last week, you can't control him at all, can you? But he no. just doesn't listen to you, does he? But now, lads, he's after listening. Yeah, there you go. So this is step For one. Now, this anyway. is day one. So this is like St. Bridget's Day and month and whatever. So Fran now is on right. course. To and are you going to, you're going to monitor me over the next while, are yes, you? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah okay. I am. So maybe every, whatever, three weeks or so. Okay. We might Should take I be sugars. able to get that down below five? Well, you're resting sugars even at six. They should be about five, stable enough at five or whatever. But okay. I'm quite happy once they stay around five. Yeah. Okay. What, whatever you've eaten or dra- drank even last night. So like even if you've had a high glycemic meal late last night. So say like if you had pizza or mm. it's something along those lines. It could show up that your bloods are going to be a little bit higher. And everybody's bloods are different as in some people have a higher resting blood sugar level than others. Yes. I actually tested mine this morning before I came in. Okay. And my blood sugars were 4.7. Oh, and Lord. I hadn't eaten. But that's my resting. That would be my kind of norm and if they were higher than that I'd know I've eaten something something mm. else or whatever you know what, what what have you seen over the years have you seen them being I've seen crazy oh my god we've done screens in companies we've got people that have come into us like and just on that test alone and they haven't eaten we're looking at blood sugars that are 14 19 wow. like and, and when you actually sit somebody down you say to them you ask them about how they feel and you really sit them down and you really relax them when you see something like that they actually start thinking about it then and they actually rely themselves well yeah I have been extremely tired I'm not able to put one foot in front of the other um, maybe like the black spots and the dizziness pieces there and when you really start pulling it out of them sometimes people don't even realise it but when you start talking about it they're like yeah those signs and symptoms are there and there's signs and symptoms like say that I would even be talking about you know what IBS or yeah, yeah, you know yeah. like or, or the stomach that, issues that you'd never associate that you'd never like yeah. even like the thirsty piece you might feel thirsty and you think to yourself I haven't drank all day and like hydration is one of the massive pieces again of the blood sugar piece or whatever but if you haven't drank for four or five hours you're going to think you're thirsty I get I, I would say every single person that comes into clinic that's over the age of 50 will actually say to me I know I don't drink enough I know I'm not getting enough water into me and I don't drink because I end up weaning too much mm. so if I mm. have a glass of water I'm on the toilet within whatever and if I'm going to town or if I'm going to work or if I'm driving a lorry or if I'm whatever purposely don't drink because I can't stop to go to the loo every half an hour or whatever So if you're dehydrated it could drive the Yeah totally well, totally and like it's, it's gas because the less you drink the more dehydrated you become the more you're going to urinate 
your body has to be able to be be able to be efficient at actually holding on to the water, retaining the water. So like we're 70 percent water. If we don't have enough water in our body, we can't regulate anything. And we see it in everything. If somebody's dehydrated, you can see elevated um, high blood pressure or blood pressure. You can see elevated cholesterol, elevated sugars. You can see that the slow GI in the stomach that you don't move your 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 uh, food through properly mm. and the constipation levels come. And then, of course, you have the headaches and the extreme tiredness comes with it and you wake up at night. And so like that can be just hydration alone without ever talking about your blood sugars. And what stage does it become diabetes though, which is a different Yeah, so it is and can I explain really, so I suppose with the diabetic piece, you've too much glucose in your bloodstream, okay, because your body isn't using or producing enough insulin as it should, right? So insulin is a hormone that helps us control our blood sugars, right? So normally your pancreas releases insulin and when your blood sugars get high after a meal, it tells your body to absorb glucose until the levels go back to normal, Mm -hmm. okay? But if you have diabetes diabetes, your body doesn't make insulin. That's type 1 diabetes, so it doesn't make the insulin. That's completely different, okay? Yes. And a lot of that is genetic. And like I said, we've only 5 or 10% of people that are actually on that, that piece. That's not lifestyle, right? The lifestyle piece is it doesn't respond normally to the insulin, okay? And that's because of the lifestyle. That's because you're either overdoing it with the processed foods, the stress is contributing to that, the cortisol levels, the hydration levels, you're not exercising enough to actually move it through. All of that is literally how you're actually, what you're putting your body through. Our body is a machine which will work really efficiently if we treat it right. And if we don't treat it right, it's going to break down. That's like, I keep saying mm. it every single day. It's like the car that's chucking along. If you can't manage those insulin levels, then that's that's... You know. Yeah, it's interesting. A person who shall remain nameless told me yesterday that they had they checked their blood sugar and they had one of those noodly type things, yeah. you know, in the in yeah. the little carton thing, and that drove up. The, oh yeah, sure. It's completely sugar. processed, like anything that's completely processed. But I like, never imagined the sugar in something. No, like that. It, but it doesn't like it's ultra processed. Once it's ultra processed, then the chemicals, the whole lot, there's going to be a level of carbohydrates that are refined, and if it's a refined carbohydrate, it's going to turn, turn to sugar in your system. And the problem is, if you eat them for too long, at twenty or well, like the girls' ages here, the body's going to burn it up very fast. But if you continually do it and you're doing it into your thirties, then your body slows down at that and it can't manage it to the same same extent. And if your blood sugars are too high for too long over time this damages the nerves and the blood vessels and that's what leads then to the heart heart disease and the other problems like the type 2 diabetes or whatever but you know go back to the noodle piece mm. um, they've, they've actually started putting cameras down into people's uh, stomachs to actually see how food um, digests and disappears wow. and all of that and it was actually the noodles was one of the foods that they put the camera down with somebody and they um, drank like a red bull or no a leucocyte or something in blue right so that you could see the noodles right and then they gave somebody uh, the same person days later a proper dinner so yes. like my mammy dinner with my spuds mm-hmm. and my meat and my veg and all that kind of thing the dinner literally after two to three hours had dissolved into kind of a fluff and out into the bloodstream and went as it needed to go and the nutrients were absorbed and everything the noodles were still there after three days with the blue dye what does that upset you Leanne? <laughs> My God. Rubber. I wasn't going to name you, Leah, to but me. she just she just blew it there. She just blew the They're whole just thing rubber. They're There's just... no secrets with her. No, they're, well, like, if you're doing something wrong, like, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's like the same All right, thing. as the case yeah. may be. So, yeah. like, and, and it's not all bad. Like, it's easy to get it right. And, like, it's not even, like, 80, 20. Like, it's even 70 or 60. Mm. It's like that you're not every single meal isn't the wrong foods. 
Like you just have to get like certain meals and certain amount of foods right. You know, that yes. your porridge with your seeds and your honey and stuff like that, like they lower your GI before the day even starts, you know. Like if you're snacking on yeah. things, snack on the right things. You can still have your bar of chocolate. Like mm. if you could go dark chocolate, I'd prefer it. Yuck. And earlier in the morning, did you hear what he just said? <laughs> I said, yuck. That actually came on here. Oh, like, did that it? Actually went out. I thought but I was anyway, just thinking it, yeah. The earlier in the day you eat well, the better. So, like, if you can get yourself off to a good start, at least, uh, your blood sugars rise between 4am and 8am, OK? Yes. So th- they're, they're at their highest when it comes to breakfast time. So if you put in, like, you eat your, your Red Bull and your chocolate, you're done for the day. You're finished. That's it. That's it. You're done. Patrick says, God almighty, don't be a baby, Fran. Uh, Okay. Um, uh, Hi, Fran. I have IBD and my niece has IBS. She's been complaining of not being able to empty bladder uh, lately. Um, Is this a pelvic issue, possibly? Uh, She's tried everything from medication uh, to lots of stuff and that's in from Samantha as well is that playing into what we're saying here? Totally, totally yeah. I would love to go through her diet I'd love IBD to go through exactly, and IBS yeah, I'd love to go through exactly what they're eating because you know you actually think you have it on the button but sometimes there's things in there that you actually feel are right for the condition that you have but they don't agree with your body or they don't agree with your gut and the hydration piece is massive and you know you might be drinking a lot of waters you could have your three litres mm. but if your body isn't retaining it you could still be dehydrated if you don't have the proper electrolyte Electrolyte balance, your body can still be dehydrated. Oh. You know, so I find that a lot if there's gut issues um, that you don't retain the water that you need to, and it takes us maybe six weeks um, of a slow drip feed of water with proper electrolyte balance going in before you actually start retaining it. So that would cause a sluggish gut. That's very interesting. Could you ask Muriel, does dry and itchy skin indicate high sugar? Yes, totally. Yeah, right. skin issues. Yeah, yeast issues. All of that can it can can yeah say you've high blood sugars. Okay, right. Yeah. I've finished my my Red Bull. Okay. So are we going to do so this now, all this over is, again? This is great because I have to do a pinprick oh, again. Oh Lord God! So uh, you know there's three levels on these things that I'm pricking your finger with. So you, needless to say, I'm getting well, full whack. You're a man, it? so I have to go through the skin like so. That's, I'm giving him the. Don't don't be taking so much enjoyment out of this. Don't you know, Leanna's. Is, is videoing this. Uh, will, will this be available for people to watch? I my hate torture? upsetting Fran lads because I love them. <laughs> yeah. But I'm really enjoying this, I have to say. That's really oh, so God, here we go again now. This is a quick clean again. You're, okay. you're dragging it out so, now, you see, yeah, which is making yeah, it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's another finger here. you do. I'm going to do another finger. Ah. You won't even feel this one. Ah. <laughs> you actually heard that. Look at the blood. So, look, 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 yeah, look. I know. Yeah. Actually, a sign that Fran, um, Do I need a transfusion after this? Or something? Bleed to death, yeah, if yeah. you're in an accident, Fran. So it what, what was it? So it was at five point four. Okay. So now we're going to check it out. Now we didn't really have enough time. Okay. We could really have done with like about thirty minutes or whatever. Okay. But this should still give us an indicator of what the Red Bull has done with it. Red Bull does, okay. Um it was only a small Oh my god. How long oh, was that now? Oh my god, 8 point, it's gone up to 8.4. It's gone up to 8.4. Well, was that 10 minutes? And that's a small, a small Red Bull. I would normally drink the He didn't even get the full can of Red Bull, one. guys, right? That was a small can of Red Bull. I'll leave that that's, one there That's for a incredible. And that was only in 10 minutes, right? I've I'll, done I'll that. put you back over at your mic. Yeah. Um, I have done that with my son and I've given him a half an hour. So I've given him the Lucasade Sport because he just wants to drink Lucasade Sport because he feels it's an energy drink for sport or whatever. And um, I've taken his blood sugars after, say, I've given probably 40 minutes even on some some cases. And his blood sugars, as a 13-year-old, have gone to 14. 
That's so from like four or something to So you 40. say if we left that another 10 yes, minutes or yes, so. Yes, yes, yes. So you can imagine if you put your bar of chocolate in with that, how fast it actually rises. Now, eight isn't high. If you had a bre- your breakfast this morning and your breakfast was like a slow release of carbohydrates which turns to sugar in your system to yeah. give you energy so or what, whatever. like porridge or... Like your porridge or whatever. Your blood sugars would most definitely go to eight. That's okay. not high. But they have gone to that in the space of like eight or nine minutes drinking a can of Red Bull, you know. So your blood sugars can spike so fast. So the next day we're going to do this. So we'll do it in two or three weeks. Oh, uh, sorry, just explain then what, yeah. what is wrong with that? Okay, they're, they're up now 8.4, I think it was. Yeah, so, so all day long now, your blood sugars are high. It's so hard to bring your blood sugars back down again. Okay. And the minute you stimulate the blood sugar piece at all, then your body wants more sugar. Ah. So like, you've done that now. Your brain has actually got that dopamine hit from it or whatever. So it's going to say to you in 15 minutes... I want another I want one. More. And the biggest thing with something like Red Bull is because of the sweeteners and the sugar and everything in it, your gut and your body is getting nothing. There's nothing of value going in. So with porridge, there's a value going in and mm. there's a fibre. So it's, it's Satan everything and it's filling you. So everything relaxes in your gut and your brain says, well, I'm full now. I actually have something. I don't need anything else for about three hours. But when you put something like that with no nutritional value into it, your gut's going to say in 15 minutes, well, where's the food? He's actually after switching this on now, but he's given me nothing. So I need something. So you're going to stay craving it. So all day long, you're going to have the dips in the roller coaster. So you'll get the low next and then you get the high because you need to eat again and then you get the low again. Wow. Whereas if you just, if you were even with the can of Red Bull, if you were to stay having it and you had something like nuts or something like a really good essential fat and some fibre or whatever, you would like lower the GI of all of it. Not a large Twix. Not a large Twix, Twix. no. So bold, isn't it? But you're on track now, so we're going to get started with this now properly. So I don't mean that we have to eliminate everything. I just, and I always do it softly with people that you never, like um, Dr Nadira, we were chatting about this yesterday, and she said if somebody came into the hospital to one of the consultants and they had high blood sugars and they were pre-diabetic, a consultant would be really adamant, right, we have to take out all of these things and you have to be 100% on this. We need to get these down immediately, right? That's not, that's not sustainable. Somebody can do that and they can drop their blood sugars very fast over the space of two or three weeks. But are they able to do that long term? So in my world, no, they're not. So for me, if we can do it softly at 60%, leave in what somebody really can't do without, but add in stuff that's really good. That's, that's good. And then you eliminate the other All stuff right. bit by bit. So does that mean I have to put up with this torture every week? Then yes, the but you hour? have to eat okay. a proper breakfast. Okay. So you have to promise me on air, you're going to eat a proper breakfast every morning. Okay, I promise you on air that every Thursday morning... <laughs> I'm going to eat a proper breakfast. Has anybody got a Peloton? <laughs> um, it says here, yeah. Muriel, I've been diagnosed with IBS. Can't pinpoint the cause of it. I eat well. I started eating gluten-free bread to see would it help, as I love ordinary bread. So I've decided to cut it out for now. Any suggestions, Muriel? That's in from Francis today. Your diet needs to be carbohydrates 50%. Your uh, protein and fats 25% each. Your carbohydrates have to be colour and you have to have no osis on the end of it. So no fructose, which is your high sugar fruits, no, say, lactose, which is like sugar and milk, etc. You have to have high fibre, so just enough as in porridge, wheat picks and things like that. That's where your good carbs come from. Essential fat has to be way up there. So your nuts and seeds, extra virgin olive oil, fish and things like that, right? Mm. Um, what, what was the end of the note? Um, I love ordinary bread. Um, I'm cutting it out, though. I okay, so go with McCambridge bread, right? Um 
there's a gluten-free and Cambridge bread that's really good and there's only about four ingredients in it, right? Uh, um, you have to look at the ingredients. So just because it says gluten-free, it doesn't mean that it's actually good and it's it, your, your gut mm. is able for it. You've IBS, you're not able for chemicals and preservatives. So take a look, all the gluten-free stuff like we spoke about last week, all the vegan okay. stuff, so many ingredients right. in it. Will you, will you go back to IBS for us and IBS? Yeah, we again. might do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, next week, actually, we have uh, William in, a guy that came through this whole programme. Yes. So he's a year down the road. Oh, very he good. He had really, yeah. really bad IBS symptoms, chronic fatigue, all of that. So William is actually going to talk us through oh, his journey. Excellent. So excellent. that'll okay. make so for, 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 for um, the education good. piece. Indeed. Do you think I need stitches out of it? No? No. Uh, if people want to talk to you or the team, Muriel, how can they do that? So if anybody wants to replicate what Fran has done today, our number is 052. <laughs> so bad, isn't it? Yes, I know. A spoon of sugar. Okay. The old fashioned show. Very good. Yeah. Oh five or oh five two. Yeah. Oh five two six one four triple eight one, or www.marito8020.com. Right. If you forget your own phone number, is that a sign that your blood sugars are high? Low. No. All right. Okay. We'll take a break. Uh, back in just a moment. Coming up on the half fast eleven. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, it's very rarely that I would read uh, a book in one sitting uh, from cover to cover, and I certainly did with a book called Kerry, My Inspiration. It's written by Clodagh Sweeney, who's with me in studio. Good morning to you, Clodagh. Good morning, Fred. And congratulations to you on the book, because it is the most incredible story, and you've been on the most incredible uh, journey. Will you tell me about Kerry, just to begin with? Um, Kerry was a beautiful little girl, um... She was full of sparkle, loved her clothes. She had the most electric smile. She spoke with her ears, her eyes, her smile, her face. The way she'd present her body would let you know how she's feeling. Um, She loved cuddles. She loved music. She was the light of so many people's lives. She... I think anyone that knew Kerry in their lifetime, and I think a lot of people that have already read the book, that have reviewed it for me, have said they feel like they know Kerry by Mm. reading the book. Um, I think they'll be the better themselves for reading it. And she changed so many people's lives. Um, You you said at times she was like a rock star when she went around in her wheelchair. Yeah, she was amazing. Like, I'm five foot nothing. And when I wheeled Kerry in her wheelchair and to be beside her, um, I felt six foot tall and I was so proud that Kerry looked like me because I it's, it's a terrible thing to say but I wanted people to know I was her mammy and not her carer even though I was just so, so proud of her. I had to have people know she was mine because she was amazing. Will you tell me about the pregnancy? I mean, the pregnancy w- went along well. You were healthy and well yeah. and your baby was healthy and well. Isn't that, isn't that the way it was? Claude? Yeah, I had a perfect pregnancy. Um, I was 10 days over due so I went in to have Kerry I was being brought in on the Saturday to be induced on the Monday but they induced me on the Sunday which I found out later by law you're not allowed to be induced on a Sunday in case something goes wrong and the first nurse the first midwife I had she was amazing really 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 good Um, unfortunately 
the changeover came at eight o'clock that night and the second midwife wasn't so nice. And you said the atmosphere changed completely. Absolutely in the changed. Ward. She was just rude. She was obnoxious. It's the only way she had no... To be, for me, to be a midwife, you have to have kindness. There was none of that shown to me in any shape or form by the second midwife. So what happened then? She... I was, was obviously my first full... Um, I had had a miscarriage previous to that, but this was my first full-term yes. baby. So I was ignorant in the sense that I didn't know you couldn't have... Uh, um, what do you call it? The... Epidural. Epidural, yes, yeah. sorry. Um, at, at a certain time, you were gone past it and you couldn't have it. So the pain was absolutely horrendous. And um, I did ask for the epidural in a couple of times, but I refused it. I went to the bathroom and up until then, I had gas in the air. And when I came back from there, from the bathroom, she took the wheels off the bed and moved the... Um, moved me so I couldn't reach the gas in the air and I asked her could I have it back and she said no. She was just cruel from start to finish and it was only that a doctor, she did try and vacuum me and I don't know what kicked in then because I, I just knew something was wrong. Mm. I didn't know what was wrong. And you wrong. began to rebel then at this yeah, stage, I didn't did. you? Yeah, I did. She did go to vacuum me and I will admit I did tell her I'd push her through the walls of my feet if she came any closer because I knew something was wrong but to what extent I didn't know. And it was only that a doctor walked into the room to get something out of a press um, who had examined me three weeks later. I shouted over to him, are you going to give it to me? And he looked at me and he said, give you what? I said, the epidural. And then he looked at the screen and he could see I was in trouble. Um, and he then arranged for, he asked me, what did I want? I said, I just want it out of me. I said, I, I need it out. And he was the one that said he'd give, get a section, emergency section straight away. What happened then with the emergency section? Well, I was knocked out completely. And my husband at the time um, had said to me, when we, I was in and out of consciousness all the time and they told um, Chalky that um, we'd had a perfectly healthy baby boy, which they got wrong. They came back and told him, sorry, we made a mistake. It was a perfectly healthy baby girl. And then it wasn't during the night I was in and out and in and out of consciousness and I kept asking him, is our, is our baby OK? And he told me we'd had a healthy baby girl. So I wasn't worried. Around six o'clock that morning, a doctor came in and... Um, she said to me, your baby is very ill. And um, I was saying, no, no, we have a perfectly healthy baby. And she said, no, you don't. She said, and you need to get her christened. She said, um, more than likely she's going to die. So straight away I looked for Father Breen because he's my priest. Well, I know him since I was knee-high to yeah. a grasshopper, but our local priest as well. And this, she said, no, you haven't got time. You need to get a priest now. So their own priest came up to baptise Kerry. And at that stage, my brother Liam and his wife Pamela had come over and um, they brought us into the unit where Kerry was and there was tubes and everything hanging out for her. Until then, I didn't actually know the extent of what was going on while we were christening her. They were, there was doctors there waiting literally to pounce on if something went wrong. And eventually at four o'clock that evening, they stabilised her enough to get her down to Washford. And normally they don't take the mother with the child, but um, they took me in a separate ambulance. So I knew when I was being brought down as well that was it was very, very serious. At what stage were you told about how profound it was, though, and, and the life-limiting 
um, effect it would have on Kerry. At what stage were, were you informed about that? When I really knew of Kerry's proper condition and what was going on, Kerry was actually six months old. We were at that stage after being transferred. We were so lucky and blessed. Um, Dr Gillian Lawler was covering maternity leave at our local GP service at the time. And she got me in contact to see Dr Eddie McGrath, God rest his soul. And only for Dr Eddie McGrath taking Kerry in at six months old, I don't know where we would have been. He was our lifesaver, so he was. And at that time, we were kind of in between because there was maternity leave going on. And then after that, Dr Condon came on on board with us. And from the day she came on board with us as well, she was a lifesend and has been with us since the day she was actually with us when Kerry passed. Um, she was well. She was down within minutes of Kerry passing and was with us throughout the night a few times and fantastic. But Dr. Eddie McGrath was the doctor. He originally examined her and told us Kerry used to scream 16, 20 hours a day for the first six months of her well, life. Tell us about that because I can't imagine. I mean, those of us who have been lucky enough to have, you know, healthy kids, it's difficult enough, yeah. particularly in the early months. But twenty four seven barely describes what. Yeah. What, what you had to do to care for Carrie. Yeah, it was awful to see your child in such pain and a lot of the time there was never any tears. It was just screaming and screaming and having doors closed in your face. Um, I had been told by one particular doctor there's nothing wrong with your child, Mrs Brett, only she's a spoiled brat and you have her the way she is. Now I'm sorry but that's not acceptable. Not acceptable behaviour from anybody. And um, coming back being sent up to Dr Eddie McGrath was like going in it was like one big massive huge Mm. hug because every time he saw you he's seen you he's seen your child he had empathy he was so caring Mm. he'd have Kerry whipped up out of the bed you know before and and what I loved about him Clodagh was that he always paid homage to the mother's instinct didn't he big time and All the doctors that were training under him while I was there, that was the one thing he kept saying. Make sure you listen to the parents. They know their child better than anyone. Um, He was, it was, and we stayed in Clamell Hospital that time for a full month and they really looked after us so well and like Kerry cried and cried. They turned her inside out and outside in to get every test done that they possibly could do. And during that stay, that's when Dr. Eddie McGrath told me, he asked, he came in to me one day just to have a chat and see how I was. And he said, Claudia, do you know the extent of what's wrong with Kerry? And I said, I know a bit, but I really don't. And he sat down and explained everything to me. And that was the day that I asked him, will Kerry live a full life? And he told me no. And that's heartbreaking. Do you know, to know your child isn't going to... But at the same time, the other side of it is when we came to the extent when Kerry was, like Kerry really was, um, had the needs of a newborn baby and more on top of that with medication and needs. But it's a relief to know that Kerry will never have to, I can't, I won't be leaving Kerry behind because nobody could have minded Kerry the way I did. There's just, it couldn't, she was just, she was ruined. We all had her ruined and she just loved being at home. She loved, she loved she did love life, but she did suffer in life as well. God bless her. She suffered a lot. At what point were you fully aware that Kerry's condition was due to negligence? Not until I was in Clamell Hospital. 
that's when it was actually fully explained to me. Um, there was a few things that one particular gynaecologist asked me a few questions and this particular doctor did tell me, said, Clodagh, what happened at your birth shouldn't have happened. Um, we did go back to Kilkenny looking for answers. Um, they, we asked, asked all the questions. They said they'd rearrange another appointment for us to get answers. That time I looked as well to see the midwife in question. The head of midwifery agreed that I should meet her. The head of nursing said absolutely not, that they would protect her. And my argument was that she just should know that what she did so that she wouldn't redo it again. Um, so that day, the second time that we went back for answers, um, she, the head of nursing said to me, um, basically, they weren't going to give me what I looked for. I said, look, I'll go away once I know what's happened. And she told me, no, sue us. And I said, fine, if you want to play hardball, we'll play hardball, but I will get answers. And you did. And I hope you don't mind my saying, but, but you know, money was tight enough, but you did choose to to sue. I did, yeah, yeah. because I just thought not even for Kerry, for other kids like it's happening too often and that's one thing that one of the reasons I wrote this book and Dr Eddie McGrath was the doctor that actually asked me to write this book and um, I just felt and he felt it's happening too much in too many hospitals and it happens everywhere like you can't just pinpoint one hospital it happens and um, he said it shouldn't be happening and for hospitals to put parents through all this turmoil it's it's wrong. It should be just admitted. You 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 fought and boy had you to fight because they yeah. fought you all all the way. Eventually, then there was a decision and there was an apology, but not not till you went through the wars with them. Yeah, I wouldn't settle until I got an apology because for me, like we could have got a lot more money, but it wasn't about the money. Yeah. It was about I needed them to give me an apology, give my daughter an apology. And I needed them to know what they did was wrong. And I wanted people to know that, um, you know, they're not always right. So I wanted admittance. That was my big thing. Admittance had to be given. And I got that. The toll it took on you, uh, the toll it took on your relationship, uh, for instance, as well. And, yeah. and sadly, that didn't work out. And I can see why, too, to a large extent, because mm. the pressure must have been unbelievable, you know. It was. And to be honest, I wasn't the same person after having Kerry, because after having a child, you do change anyway. Mm. But we had more of a fight, you know, with Kerry because everything revolved around Kerry. And, and so it should have done. Mm. Um, and it's just, look, things don't work out. Mm. Things like, thankfully, we're good friends. Yes. Um, and that's a blessing. So there's no point in arguing. You know, it's and you you had another child then, a, a healthy daughter. Yeah, yeah. I got, had Lucy in Clamell. I went in a year previous to getting pregnant to make sure I'd be given a section because um, I we we wanted another child, and yes. um, I had to know that she'd be okay. Because no point in saying I wasn't frightened. I was terrified in case the same thing would happen again. And to have Lucy and to be awake having her and to have an epidural awake and to see, do you know, to be able to feel everything, it was fabulous. And I got to experience what a proper labour should be like. It was beautiful from start to finish. There's loads of the story we're skipping here, needless to say. But as as Kerry got older, um, some of her condition wor- worsened greatly, particularly, I think, the scoliosis. Yeah. And eventually then there was an operation there. Would you just tell us some of that experience? Because... To be honest with you, I found that the most harrowing aspect of mm. of uh, the book because she was in such pain and distress. She finally, after a long fight as well, got the operation. 
Yeah, we eventually got the operation. I fought What age was she? Uh, sorry, Claudia, what, um, uh, at this point? Kerry was, oh goodness. She was about nine, was she? No, no, she was. She was a little bit older than yeah. that. Right. Um, God, sorry, you're right, to no, catch no, me in no, the half again. Not at all. Exactly. But anyway, so 10, 11, maybe. She was two, it was back in 2014. Okay. And um, she had her first operation on her back. And basically, I was told that children, Kerry was, she was in an awful lot of pain. And I was told, because of her condition, that the HSE wouldn't waste an operation on a child like Kerry because she wouldn't survive it. You were told yeah, that? straight out. So I did play dirty. I played very dirty because I had to get Kerry our operation. And um, I said to them that I rang my solicitors that won Kerry's court case and I asked them for the media, would they be interested in the story that they were refusing Kerry's operation? And they were biting at the tooth. So when I revealed all this, the operation was done. And you shouldn't have to do that. You should not have to do that. At the end of the day, I have no bitterness over what happened. But at least look after her. They messed up with Kerry's birth. Look after her. I wasn't asking for much. And they did the operation. The operation um, was successful for almost a year. And I'd like to point out, I had been told that Kerry would be in hospital and probably in ICU for up to a month. I had her home within a week of the operation. That's how tough my little Kerry was. She was as tough as nails. And they could nobody tell me any different. She was actually when I came out of th- when she came out of theatre when I saw her she was um, the tube was up out of her throat and everything. That's how tough my curry was. Sadly, that operation didn't prove to be successful. No. Would, would you tell us what happened then? Because so eventually the bar came away from the top of the spine. Um, things got really really bad. They were saying that there wasn't space to have her operated on. So eventually the hole came in the top of her spine and the bar came out through the top of her spine. Through her skin? Through her skin. And myself and my now husband had to change her dressing every two, every second day. And the the um, nursing care used to come, come, the local nursing care and feathered used to come down and keep an eye on it too and change it for us. But um, it needed to be done every, sometimes every day. And it got so hard I couldn't do it on my own. So my husband did it with me. And... Um, the, I, when I spoke to the doctor about that, um, he told me, children like Kerry don't feel pain like you and me. And when the hole becomes the size of a 50 pence piece, give us a shout. So eventually I did meet him again and um, I said, basically the argument started, the operation is needed, kids were going to England for the operation I asked for Kerry to be sent to England and the heel of the hunt was he didn't want to send Kerry to England because he'd started the operation and wanted to finish it I very stupidly sat there and said that's no problem I said finish it then do it and he wouldn't he said he hadn't the time and I said but what are you going to do then send us to England and he said no and I just looked at him I said are you telling me you won't send my daughter to England to have the operation done because of your ego and he said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I felt sick to the pit in my stomach and I just actually, I had to get up and walk away. I had to walk out. I knew I was fighting the He battle. didn't want it to go because I would have showed up. Because mm, he'd started the operation. He wanted to finish it. But yes, I would have been fine if he had said to me, right, we'll book Kerry in for a week's time, two weeks time, and we'll do it. But he didn't even have that courtesy to do it. She, was, she is my child. How dare any doctor sit in front of me and tell me my daughter doesn't deserve an operation? 
She's no different to any other person. Yes, she has a dif- had a huge disability, but my God, she deserved to be treated with respect and dignity, which she did not get. What strikes me about your story, Toda, is that you've seen both the, the, the wonderful care, uh, uh, health care, yeah. and you've seen some of the worst of it as mm. well. When the HSC is good, and I do want to point that out, there is amazing facilities. Mm. We have a PD, paediatrician ward here in Clamell. Our paediatrician ward here in Clamell, for me, from what I saw of it, is absolutely amazing. We got first class treatment in Clamell Hospital. And um, the from nursing care to the cleaners to the doctors to everyone, fantastic. They also have another facility, the CRC Central Remedial Clinics. They're all over the country. Fantastic service, and they treat a Kerry like pure royalty. Um, there are such fantastic services. When Kerry eventually had to get a peg tube put in, when we'd go anywhere on holidays. You can box your stuff up and it's sent to wherever you're going free of charge. So when the HSE do good things, they do it brilliantly. And it's just a pity that those small little things that they do wrong are such, but they're massive things. Life changing. Life changing, yeah. I think myself, it's there's too many pen pushers and not enough people seeing reality. What they need in the system is people that live reality. Speak to people that live reality. Like all these programmes you're seeing in prime time with these poor children suffering with their backs. That's reality. There's none of them making up that stories. Believe me, you, I have lived it. And I've seen the cruelty of it. And I was one of the lucky ones. Kerry was a ward court, so I was able to take Kerry to um, the UK to have Kerry operated on. The doctor that operated on Kerry in the UK, he said the way that she was left, he said an animal wouldn't have been left like it. He said it was absolutely disgusting. He said that Yeah, Yeah, he did. And he was amazing. She was treated so well over there. She had the operation redone over there. (coughs) And, you know, it was, it shouldn't have happened because all good and well for us, we were able to afford it through the wards court. But there's kiddies out there that need it and they can't do that. They haven't got the wards court behind them. And it's not fair. Every child should be treated the very same. They shouldn't be treated any differently. I found the the last few weeks of her life, uh, reading about it, I just found absolutely heartbreaking. So I can't imagine what it was like for you. But it certainly illustrated to me, Claudia, your bond with her was remarkable. Yeah. I mean, she spent those last weeks literally in your arms. She did, yeah. I didn't go to bed for... It was three weeks, I think nearly four weeks before, um, that I'd been in bed um, because I just wanted to inhale every second I had with her. And I knew time was coming close and, as I said, there's plenty of time to sleep afterwards. We had the most beautiful bond. I literally can still feel Kerry breathing inside me and it's so, so special. And I think that's what pulls me through every single day. Um, I was blessed that our bond was so close um, you couldn't but, my God, she had the most beautiful big eyes that would just look up at you and her eyes told such a story. And at the end of the day, she looked for very little. She just wanted to hug you. She, would, she We had our special place in the couch and we'd sit in and she'd come in and cuddle into my chest and she'd just go, <sighs> and that was her. She was happy. You know, we'd sit for, we could sit for hours watching and say yes to the dress, but we were in our little bubble happy. She made it to 16. She died on her 16th birthday, yeah. I remember Mammy saying to me during the week, um, she's going to make it, Claude. And I was saying, I was getting cross at Mammy. I said, Mammy, don't do it. Don't say that, please. I said, she's suffering too much. She needs to go. And I ate my words, so I did. <laughs> Mammy was so right. Um, Kerry, to me, 
I had remarried in the July of that summer. Kerry was my matron of honour and um, she had, to me, she she had said to herself, right, my little sister has just started secondary school. She's settling in. My mammy is married and she's okay. She's going to be looked after by Mark. And my time on earth is done. It's time for me to go. And I think she died on her 16th birthday because she didn't want her time on earth to be her time on earth to be remembered as a sad time. So she wanted her birth to die on her birthday so it can be a celebration as well. So I had to honour that for, for Kerry because um, for a funeral I asked that people would wear bright colours that we'd celebrate her life instead of mm. um, it being such a sad sadness complete, even though it was the saddest day of my entire life. Um, I had to honour her and make sure that people wore pinks, purples, glitters. Um, I couldn't have worn the pinkest jumpsuit ever. <laughs> I had to for Kerry and a bit of glitter. I had to honour. And just finally, you spoke very movingly about the void that was created then when, when she died. Um, for you, because it was 16 years of yeah. unbelievable closeness. Yeah, that was something I wasn't ready for. I wasn't ready for because not alone did I lose Kerry, I lost all the, the medical people that we were involved with throughout the years. You lose so many people around you. Um, the loss Lucy had, Lucy was like a little nurse to Kerry. Their bond was absolutely indescribable. Poor Lucy, Mrs Kerry, something unbelievable. But I can tell you, Lucy has a lot to be proud of the way she looked after her big sister. Um the loss, there is no words. There is no words. But I cannot thank God enough for giving me Kerry for 16 years. I wouldn't change a second of it. As much as I would love to have Kerry back with me, I'd never ask Kerry to come back with me in the pain that she's in. If I could have Kerry back as healthy as could be, I would give up everything just to have her back. But that's not possible. But I could not thank God enough for giving her to me for those 16 beautiful years. Well, Claude, from the book, I think we all would know Kerry if if we read the book. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it, it really does give us an indication of what it was like throughout mm. that uh, journey. But it's, I mean, you say Kerry, my inspiration, but certainly this was an inspiration. I mean, you're an incredible <laughs> woman, incredible woman for what you've done. This is being launched tonight, isn't it? Tonight in the Talbot Hotel between half seven and half nine. Right, OK. And the book available? Um, so I self-published, so mm-hmm. I've yet to go around to shops to see will they take it in to, for, to sell it for me on my behalf. Jimmy O'Sullivan in O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Feathered is mm. going to have it on sale. Who was remarkable to you as well. Oh, course, he was yeah. amazing throughout yeah. her lifetime. Yeah, really, really good. And he's MC for me tonight, which I'm so proud of. Excellent. And um, it will be available. It's available on Amazon, Amazon Kindle. And I've got copies as well, so people can contact me if they want them. Well, it's a wonderful read. As I say, I I read it in one sitting. It's called Kerry, My Inspiration by Clodagh Sweeney. Clodagh, thanks for your time today. And I hope you have a wonderful launch tonight as well. Thank you. very much indeed. Appreciate it. That's it for me. Leanne produced Ali, looked after her content. Stephen is on the way, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.